everybody, and welcome back to Bang Bang Podcast. This is episode 125. I mean, it depends who you talk to. It could be episode 135. There may have actually been an episode released before this one over the weekend, because myself and Steve were planning on getting together to talk about WrestleMania, which happened this weekend past. Um, but you know what we're like, that might not have happened. So if it did happen, Hanny said something massively offensive. I'd like to apologize for that now i mean he might not have even said anything and we might not have even done so but just in case i'll get the apology out of the way straight away but yes we're back after a um a bit of a break january was the last time there was a show that was me and um emma talking about the war run but emma who started watching wrestling about 18 months ago and knows pretty much nothing of wrestling previous to that point so there's always a quite interesting shows, um, but she's very enthusiastic. So, um, yeah, she's great, Emma. So it's good for her to join me on that show. That was supposed to be Steve, but I don't know he's doing. He's got his nails done or something. Yeah, it's something far more important than talking about wrestling that week. So, yeah. Um, so, I mean, since the break, I've still been at uni, plowing through that. Um, about halfway through the second year, so I should be done by the end of this year. Hopefully, fingers crossed, and uh, it's going all right. I've actually got a dog now as well just to increase the fun and enjoyment along with two kids and uni and working and uh, so i've got a dog and she might make an appearance at some point during the show not tonight because she's not here but i was on um i did an episode of steve-o's podcast total steve podcast which i think most people who listen to this is probably aware that steve is a legend and uh, we were talking about 2011 wwe and uh, with quite long episode steve steve-o does enjoy a chat and um Tilly, the dog, came in and attacked me through the halfway through the episode. So when that episode does come out, if you hear me go quiet for a couple of minutes, it's because I was being beaten up by an eight year, eight month old uh, puppy. So, but she's lovely. So, but you probably hear in the background in some episodes coming up in the next few weeks. Um, you, you may well have heard our nice new theme music, which was uh, made by Dream Kid. Um, he's a guy puts out nice, good 80s style synth stuff. Um, got a new album coming out soon. Um, you may have heard it because you may have sued me for copyright. <laughs> we kind of, we had a brief discussion about where I could use the music and he was like, yeah, kind of, yeah, as long as you don't use anything new. Um, so that might have started the show. Um, but yeah, he's great. So go and check him out. Uh, you know, Black Lakes, I still love Black Lakes. Top guys, Will and the guys. I actually going to Will's wedding in the summer. So um, so yeah, we've not, uh, we've not fallen out of love with them. They're great. And uh, you may have noticed some of our artwork recently leading up to the show, the big build-up. That's been done by uh, Sean, uh, otherwise known as King's Pigs Bladders on uh, on Twitter. A bit of a Photoshop wizard has, has photoshopped me into some of the most uh, important moments in wrestling history. Um, so you might see my head in various positions over the past couple of weeks. Uh, but Sean's a top guy. And um, I'd like to thank Jake, who was doing our artwork before top bloke jake and i thank you for all this hard work over the past three years right so last series was made up of mainly new guests people uh who i wanted to have on for a while and uh got to know some really interesting people last year uh and it was good to get a few different voices this year i've gone back to more of the <laughs> the tried and tested uh brigade so you'll hear a few familiar voices on the show in the next uh it's probably about three or four months um but yeah but tonight, we're, well, this was my, I, I wrote this intro a couple of weeks ago. So my intro was uh, tonight, we're talking about 
a last-ditch attempt to rescue a failing sporting venture by bringing back a controversial famous boss, which eventually ends in failure. Um, and that was going to lead into me introducing UTT Rob to talk about Huddersfield's relegation, but things may have changed, mate. Good evening. Good evening, yeah. He's not controversial. He's a fucking legend okay. in Huddersfield. I think at the end of this season, there'll be a statue of Neil Warnock outside the John Smith Stadium. And and B, you know, uh, as Millwall's manager said in the post-match interview, Neil Warnock said what he was going to do was his game plan. We didn't listen to him, and he did exactly that, and that's how they won. And uh, that's exactly what we did to Middlesbrough as well. They'd both been well and truly Warnocked. I couldn't believe that Middlesbrough was our result. That was uh, that was a shock. We- we should have been one nil up within the first thirty seconds. I mean, we, we were all over them. Um, we, we had about as much possession percentage as we scored goals, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that doesn't matter. Right. It, it, it's the scoreline that matters yeah. at the end of the day. Uh, and to put far past third in the league, you know, if, if you'd have looked at the two teams and said who's third in the league and who's third bottom, you'd have thought Town were third in the league the way we played. So, are you feeling confident now? You might stay up. Well, you never know. I mean, QPR's form seems to have dropped off a cliff. Reading have just had six points deducted. Um, you know, Black Blackpool are struggling at the moment. So, well, you know, if, if current form's anything to go on, um, I, I think we're like maybe in top four in the form table in the championship at the moment. So, who knows? Yeah, but it'd be nice, wouldn't it? It'd be nice if we're not. Uh, of a, you know, the, we've got the takeover going through the American Revolution. We're going to be a Sister club to um, Sacramento Republic, so that'll be interesting. Yeah. Um, I think we're going to probably be the senior partner because um, they, they failed to get into the MLS because the MLS wanted a billion dollars for it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. in MLS, so, you know, if you spend a billion dollars on town, we'll be uh, winning the Champions League. Well, I, I mean, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Warner. I think he's got a bit of a... Um, he always mentions our fans and these he'd like to be... Uh, when he dies, he doesn't want a minute, minute's applause. He wants a minute's uh, abuse at Bristol City because of his uh, got a bit of a history with us. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, he's uh, he's one of those guys who would have been interesting if he. There's a couple of times early in his career he was linked with us um, as a manager, uh, but I think that ship probably sailed after the the playoff game with Palace and then the goal which was given, which didn't actually, well, the goal which went in and didn't get given uh, for Palace. <laughs> Oh, I'm surprised uh, we didn't end up at Bristol City because he managed us in the uh, mid nineties. So our cast-offs normally end up at but Bristol they do City. End up with you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think he, he's got a home down in Plymouth, funny because he managed Plymouth for um, yeah. quite a while. So he's, he's reasonably local. But yeah, it never happened. Um, but uh, I, I mean, there's some managers like Ian Holloway, people like that, who I generally think are absolute assholes. But with Warlock, you kind of got a grudging, grudging respect for him, and he, you know. At championship level, the amount of clubs he's kept up and taken up is incredible, really. So, yeah, so good luck, mate. Yeah, think, fingers crossed. Hopefully we'll be uh, playing you again next season. And hopefully we'll be both playing Leeds next season. <laughs> fingers crossed. Well, I mean, uh, we, we we last got together in Leeds to watch a Rumble. Did you enjoy that uh, Enjoy that night? Yeah, it was a good night. It's a good night. It's, it's much better being in Leeds drinking than it is uh, watching that shower of shit down the road, isn't it? You know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Did you um were you there when your uh podcast partner fell asleep or had you gone by that point? Uh no, I don't think he'd fallen asleep at that point. Um Yeah. Yeah, no. We we uh we left with about I don't know, maybe about an hour to go. But we weren't the first people to leave, so that's no, uh, no, no. That's a, it's a late night, and you know. Oh god, yeah. 
yeah, I mean, if you explain to anyone who wasn't into wrestling or drinking that you'd gone to Leeds to watch uh, to watch the Royal Rumble and the walkabout, they'd think you were slightly mental. But um, but yeah, we are talking. We're <laughs> yeah, we are doing a wrestling podcast. I mean, they're probably right. Yeah, yeah. That was one of the things I was going to say earlier that um, I've missed doing the show for four months. It's been good to get on top of things and. But when I don't do the show, actually, now I, I do quite miss it. And we got to make so many good friends and people I probably would have never got to meet through doing the show. So, um, yeah, definitely makes it worthwhile. So I was going to say that earlier without, without the prompt of talking about Leeds. But there we go. I don't written down, honestly. Um, and yeah, obviously, it was WrestleMania this past weekend. Uh, you probably would have heard me and Steve moan about it for an hour and a half by the time this goes out. But uh, your sort of main takeaways from the weekend? I, I kind of feel, well, there's, I, I know everyone gets really excited and, oh, God, what, what shows are you watching around WrestleMania and all this sort of stuff? I, I had to, like, skip bits of WrestleMania to fit it into the time I had available. So I, I, I don't feel that I ever give, especially now we're on to two nights and, you know, before when it was seven hours, I don't feel I ever give WrestleManias the justice they deserve, uh, if that makes sense. Um I did watch, Do you watch uh, the other uh, shows going around as well, like at the same time over the weekend. I, 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 didn't, I didn't have time to, to be perfectly honest. I haven't even watched Stand and Deliver, and I was quite interested in Stand and Deliver because I, I watch um, NXT. But yeah. you know, it, it's just a matter of are you going to get around to it, and then the weekly programs never stop. And you know, it, it's um, it's like the last AEW pay per view. I wasn't tremendously excited by the build, but I just realised I wouldn't be able to watch it for like a week. And it's like, well, why am I going to pay 20 quid <laughs> for something yeah, that's yeah. completely spoiled? It's funny, though, with WrestleMania, because because I follow a, like, um, a large cross-section of people on Twitter, whether they're town fans or like, various science fiction programs and uh, obviously wrestling fans. I, I, because it's such a varied timeline, I don't often get wrestling spoilers. And I didn't for WrestleMania, but I got so many for the Raw after Mania. <laughs> it was like... <laughs> Just with the negative uh, publicity it's had. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I mean, as as we kind of we we've spoke about in our in our little uh, gang of chat, we uh, I was I wanted Roman Reigns to win and was quite happy that Cody lost. But even yeah. they got me upset by <laughs> I, they give me what I wanted, and I was still uh, I was still upset by it. So I, I wasn't particularly upset by it. It kind of at this point why would you break a streak when it's so close to a thousand days? What what benefit is there? I, I would just keep riding this train as, as long as they can. Mm. And for all that Cody's sort of been hotshotted in and being quite popular in this position, there's still that risk that he's not necessarily the guy. And you take away some of Roman's mystique if you beat him. So mm. I, I don't... Although, although this was a, you know... They took away some of the demon's mystique by having uh, Edge beat him, didn't they? Yeah, and, smash and, his head open. Yeah, and, and the demon hangs around with Dominic and Punishment Martinez and Rhea Ripley. I mean, what's going on there? Can you imagine him in the uh, Judgment Day clubhouse? All right, demon. Yeah. Well, I'm just my inner demon this evening. All right, fair enough. I'll just draw a JD on my cheek. It was right. um. It was it's obviously the demon has always been a face before, I think, because Balor's been a face for the majority of his, his run. Um, and he got a face reaction. He's always going to get a face reaction with the entrance and the the hole, isn't he? Yeah. Um, 
but I didn't. It, it, I mean, I didn't really get the edge thing either. Did you? Brood edge. He had wings and stuff, and it was like, what's going on here? And and then it wasn't real. It wasn't like the brood theme, and it didn't really work like that. And then he just came out as ordinary edge with like brood on his tights. And then it was sponsored. Was it like hard lemon or something ridiculous? Some some oh, that kind. Was the um. It, it said half lemon, half tea. 8% alcohol. Now, even I know those statistics don't add up, because that's 108%. <laughs> I think the, the hard lemonade was the sponsor for the um, Intercontinental match. Oh, sorry. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, the but, Stuart McIntyre. The, the sponsor I did like was, um, given it's this blood feud between Ray and Dominic Mysterio, sponsored by the fucking cinnamon cereal or whatever, <laughs> that looked like a deranged SpongeBob on the side of it. Well, the, um, the Edge uh, Demon match was sponsored by the uh, the Pope's Exorcist. He said the... Yes, yes, it was, yeah. He had the little monologue by famous Bristol City fan uh, Russell Crowe um, beforehand. So, and ex-Neighbours star as well, obviously. Um, but yeah, that was... Uh, I was quite looking forward to that match, actually. But I thought Balor would win. But there we go. Um, yeah. Um, what do you think to the Miz's multiple uh, surprises over the weekend with uh... yeah I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't a big fan I mean it's of 2023 hasn't it I don't like the Miz particularly I don't like Pat McAfee um, I don't like Shane McMahon um, I don't really like Snoop Dogg so those those segments weren't really weren't really for me I don't think um, but fair play for Snoop Dogg to improvise. See, he basically he just took that upon himself, didn't he? So the so the story is to after Shane McMahon got injured, he just fought. Yeah, it looked like Snoop Dogg was yeah. like, oh god, I have to go Hugh Jackman here and actually break his jaw. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, most of us have got the opportunity to punch in this. You probably you probably think, well, you know, in the name of uh, showbiz, we'll do it. We'll take the opportunity. Um, but yeah, over the I think. There were some really good matches over the weekend and some stuff which is like, well, it was there. But, um, but yeah, there's been worse. But it seemed to creep. Like, the first night was quite long, wasn't it? The first night was... About four and a half hours, if not. Four and a half hours, close. yeah. Yeah. I thought well, that was the whole point of the two WrestleManias. Was good, two nights it was going to be... Well, I mean, the first one was COVID, wasn't it? So they had to reduce the amount of people that were there. So it was shorter. But um, to have two... I mean, the second night was a bit shorter, wasn't it? But there was a lot of filler... The second night in between. I think we noticed when we uh, went to watch Royal Rumble, you get, don't you get, because we're on the network, if you're on Peacock, you get ads, don't you? So yeah. when you're watching the pay-per-view and you suddenly get a five-minute long Brock Lesnar sort of promo video in a completely random place, it's because they're getting ads in the US and they show that instead for the yeah. time. And, and it, it feels like, you know, empty time filler on the modern pay-per-views. Uh, obviously, we'll come on to um, WCW Spring Stampede 2000. And, you know, some people might argue that there are too many um, vignettes and backstage segments. And you, you might argue that, you know, the quality of them, depending on your perspective. But they weren't empty. They were there to drive the story along. They were there for a purpose of getting the matches and the wrestlers over. Um, so at least they tried they do fuck all of that these days. Yeah, yeah. Like in in the show, it was. I mean, it, it, it gave me a bit of a headache to be honest. This pay per view because it was non-stop. 
123. Well, if you're making notes, but it's a yeah. lot. It's a lot easier to watch. Yeah. It's, yeah. It is a lot more watchable than oh god, I've I've got this you know ten minute um, Brock Lesnar thing. I'm going to just go on my phone and ignore it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, so that's what we're that's what we're uh, we're covering tonight is WCW Spring Stampede 2000. Um, I want but, to cover. You know, I'm doing this under duress. <laughs> Well, that, that's something. So this season is uh, the majority of these shows we're going to be doing are um, ones which I picked this time. Last year, I kind of gave the choice of the guests to pick, but now we're back onto my choices. So why would I pick WCW Spring Stampede from 2000? Well, it wasn't much else. I'm being attacked by a child now rather than a dog. There wasn't much else from that week apart from, Rob, what was there? Well, in, in 1986, um, Glow had... Uh, a match between Matilda the Hun and uh, Mountain Fiji, which was a Gestapo billy club match. And they had clubs and Matilda was dressed as an SS officer and Hollywood and Vine came out waving Kriegsmarines flags. It's insanity, absolute insanity. On on the same card, you had um, actually Vine uh, in a mask. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so they've been out waving Nazi flags, dressed up as, a, uh, as um, the Princess of Darkness, literally hypnotising her opponent. Uh, and you could have watched that, but you chose yeah. not to. Suppose this is said. Now, I'm sure we spoke about this last time, because not many other people bring up Glow when on the show, but I'm sure it was available somewhere on, in this country. When I, I'm sure I've seen episodes of it before. Yeah. TV. It, it, yeah, they, they repeated it ad nauseum in the, the early to mid-90s on one of the satellite channels. Yeah. Um, I mean, in those days, you, you, when you had, like, the analogue satellite, you could just tune in and get all the channels from France and Germany and <laughs> Holland and the rest of it, couldn't you? So, But um, I'm sure they had it actually on, in, on the English channels and probably repeated them on the German channels later. I mean, I certainly watched it uh, in the 90s. Um, but, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, it's a crazy um, promotion, and it's I've gone back and rewatched season one in its entirety. Um, you know, to, to, to sort of bookend what we've been doing on booking the territory, uh, we've got an episode coming out shortly, uh, the last episode of season one, um, yeah. which I've got, which I now, as someone who sat through the entire season, have uh, opinions about us, <laughs> not not just not just the content of the show itself, but how they should have booked it given the season. <laughs> As a tradition on this show, we always look at the the top ten generally from the week of the show, which we're covering. Um, but it was pretty rubbish. The uh, the top ten from April sixteenth, two thousand. So I I kind of I looked around and wondered what top ten to pick. There were a few different options. I was going to pick the top ten from the day Jeff Jarrett made his debut. <laughs> but um, I decided not to do that because you know with my do more Jeff Jarrett stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I decided to go back to Boxing Day, 1988, which was the um, Starcade 1998, which was the first pay-per-view under the WCW umbrella. Mainly, that was done because there's a lot of songs I like in this top ten. <laughs> so it, it's a I'm just gonna start my car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not very festive, is it? I that you say that. Um, at number three, and this is really cheating for a singles chart, there's yeah. a International EP by Erasure, and I think there's two Christmas... There's like eight tracks on that. That's not a single. But, there uh, is. 
Yeah, but the, there is two tracks on that. They, they don't get played in shops to this day, so it, it didn't land. But no, you know, and then mistletoe and wine from Cliff. So that that's that's technically three. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's let's spoil it for the boys. <laughs> so number ten. So this must have been around the time of the. Uh, <laughs> must have been around the time of uh, Buster being released, the Phil Collins masterpiece. Um, so number 10 is Two Hearts from Phil Collins from the Buster soundtrack. Have yep. you got a favourite Phil Collins film? Favourite Phil Collins film? Jesus <laughs> Christ, it'll have to be Buster, won't it? I can't <laughs> think of any others. So. <laughs> no, no. Um, Although, I number did... nine is Loco and Acapulco. Well, because yep. the star in Buster was Julie Walters, wasn't wasn't it? And uh, yeah. she's been the Abba, you know, the Mamma Mia films, Mamma Mia 1 mm-hmm. and 2. So she, she's been in two very heavily musically oriented. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know, and it, it, is it the works of uh, Phil Collins and uh, the Far Tops that you're going for, or is it uh, Benny and Beyond? Well, well. Um, so yeah, number nine is Loco and Acapulco, which was the four top song and that was taken from the uh the buster soundtrack as well like um it's a, it's a yeah yeah it's a good song yeah yeah number eight cat amongst the pigeons slash silent night from bros so though this is a double a side so again i think mm-hmm. it's a little bit of a, a cheat I, I couldn't remember them doing this uh, this no. literally this song half of them are big hits and the other half i'm like what um yeah, uh, I could not remember them. Sound Night, I guess that's another one. So technically, that's four Christmas songs in uh, in this top ten. But but um, three of them are cheats. Yeah, yeah. Um, number seven, Buffalo Stance, Nana Cherry. No, no, again, no, no remembrance of it. It's, you don't remember that song? No, oh, no it, it, I probably repressed it. It's, it's not my sort of thing. Oh, I've, I'm this, that's right off my street. I'm, I, I must have crushed on Nana Cherry. Um, oh, so, so you appreciate appeal for her artistic talent. <laughs> well, she was involved. If if I may delve into uh, to music for a few minutes, she was involved in a whole kind of Bristol scene um, in around the uh, um, the Massive Attack, Nelly Hooper, and all that kind of uh, thing. Tricky and Nana Cherry was involved with those those guys, and her so brother was as well. She, she's uh, a, another egg roller. Yeah, yeah. And um, her brother was Eagle Eye Cherry, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Good for her. <laughs> <laughs> what is Eagle Eye Cherry fans now at home? Uh, Sound left and recording. That one off your bingo card, who had Eagle Eye Cherry. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Good Life in a City. Again, this was one that, you know, I've played it a couple of times today, trying to dredge up the memories. and. Don't remember this? No. no. As I say, half of this half of this chart is extremely memorable, and the other half is just what? Okay, and that is a is what um you know what you would term as a banger these days. I would say "Good Life" by Inner City. Number five, um, "Burning Bridges" by Les Batters with his favorite band, Status Quo. Oh, yeah, I mean th- this is the one that they they turned into "Come On Your Reds," isn't it? From the uh, yeah, do you remember this? I do remember. Well, oh, yeah. Oh, I the remember the cherry, but you remember this. Oh, well, it's, it's the quote, isn't it? You can't forget the quote. Well, yeah, not not my. This single randomly had, uh, um, well, I guess it's a, a slight wrestling adjacent tie-in because it had Mike Tyson on the cover. Did it? Yeah, I don't I don't know why because it's just um, status quo on the album, but on the single for ran for no apparent reason, Mike Tyson's on the cover. 
he crops up again in my notes later on, Mike Tyson. So um, number four. Now, again, one of my one of my favourite songs, uh, Suddenly by Angry Anderson. I mean, I, I, when, when I saw this was in this chart, I, I knew why he'd picked the bloody chart. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, obviously, it is like the big, you know, Kylie and Jason wedding thing from Neighbours, isn't it? And that, that's right up the street. I mean, it, you know, it's it's an iconic, iconic song. And the amount of video packages and greatest TV moments and all that sort of stuff it gets in, um, you know, so I, I think it deserves bonus points for being in the, the zeitgeist of the nation. In my head, this was a couple of years later, but 88, so I would have been there. I was at primary school and I was watching Neighbours and because... I remember the wedding and being like fully into that. So I was probably, I would have been 10 years old. So, um, and in my, in one of my, one of the highlights of my time away, I went to the neighbors celebration tour in, in Bath uh, a few weeks ago in the, uh, um, I can't remember the name of the place now in Bath. It was a, it's a theater in Bath. It's not really relevant. Uh, and it was, um, Stefan Dennis, uh, oh, yeah. Carl uh, and Susan Paul Kennedy, been, um, Paul Robinson, yeah. Yeah, Stephen yeah. International recording star, Stephen Dennis. Um, Toadfish. A wrestler Toadfish. There's a, there's a cost, <laughs> isn't there? Yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> um, Plain Jane Superbrain. Oh, and, uh, the wife of Joe Mangle. Yeah, yeah. And um, someone from the the most late, the, the, the recent sort of series who I didn't know she was. I've not watched it in about 20 years. Um, but it was good. It a good same song at the end. Mm. Um, I got there and there was a, I didn't go on my own. It was a, I, went with, <laughs> I went with a friend and um, there was a big queue. We got there and said, is that the key for the bar? And the guy didn't ask the key for the merch. The key for the merch was outside the uh, the, the theatre. You could buy Ramsey Street, Ramsey Street um, Street Science for 25 quid. Um, hats and t-shirts and I didn't didn't partake. Fantastic. Just, you've just sparked off a memory that well, only from this week. Um, I was flipping through the channels and I had a very um, Mark the Toffee Bang Bang podcast uh, bingo card because uh, it just landed on Hollyoaks and Glynis Barber was on. And I'm oh, like, hi. that's um, Makepeace from Dempsey and Makepeace. <laughs> I've not watched um, I've not watched Hollyoaks in a long time. In a no, no, I've no, yeah, no. been 20 years since I watched Hollyoaks regularly, but uh, well, now Glynis Barber is in, who knows? I might be, yeah, <laughs> Blake Seven and uh, Dempsey and Make Peace crossover. They're bringing in the big guns, Glynis Barber. Yeah. Um, but that was great, it was, it was a really good night, and I cried, so I had a, had a couple of drinks. But they, they played a montage of people who died like in real life and died on the show and stuff, and uh, got to see Jim Robinson have a heart attack, which was yeah. uh. They bring back a ghost in the final episode or something. Is it like a Christmas light? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think Paul was having a like hallucination and he looked up to the sky and there was a big bauble in the sky and it was um Jim Dale. No, what's his name? It's not Jim Dale, is it? It's um Alan Dale who played Jim Robinson. It was his face and he was he spoke to Paul. Um and he was like a, he what was he in? He was he was like a big star. He was in um Was he in Tosh? And he was in like 24 as well, wasn't he? Like post. Yes, yeah. Neighbours, but like a well, long time post Neighbours. Yeah, and he always had like an American accent and stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great actor. <laughs> um, Angry Anderson, though, turns out he's a massive racist. So, mm. you know, yeah. Baker bang out a tune, but don't ask him about his opinions on Muslims and things like that because, uh, yeah, you won't like it. No. Oh, 
same with wrestlers, really, isn't it? You know? Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> There's a hell of a lot of wood laughs. <laughs> yeah. Um, number three is the the aforementioned uh, EP Erasure, uh, Erasure EP, even Crackers International, with uh, a couple of Christmas songs, which I'd never even ever heard of or will hear again, I don't think. Well, there was Silent Night. I mean, you've heard that before. You <laughs> yeah, <might>. yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was the original version, then? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. <laughs> Stop was on there. That was a that was like the big tune, isn't it? Erasure song. Stop. You're looking at me blank again, Rob. Well, to be honest, when I saw Stop, I thought it was going to be the um, uh, is it the Diana Ross and the Supremes <laughs> or the Spice Girls? Yeah. Yeah. Um, number two, uh, again, where Kylie and Jason adjacent with uh, the wedding, and especially for you, is it number two? Um, they, they unsurprisingly, they weren't at the. Uh, the uh, neighbor celebration tour in Bath, but I think they're doing one in doing a tour in the, in Australia, and they're going to be there. Like there's a big show in Melbourne, they be a they could be there. Oh, so I imagine they'll be cashing in. Uh, yeah, there'll be another tour, and it'll be four times more expensive with them, uh, and half the price if it's just Jason Donovan. And then number one is a uh, a traditional Christmas classic, uh, Mistletoe and Wine by Cliff. I, I honestly thought this was a couple of years later. I was surprised it was '88. I thought it was 90. He had a yeah. run, didn't he, of... It was this, and there was Saviour's Day, wasn't there? Of course, yeah, yeah. He had, like, a yeah. little... little Like, he was an area that gets to number one every year at Christmas. Um, Headphones give me very wired for sound vibes. <laughs> Hopefully that's the only clip I should vibe like giving you tonight, but... Um... So, so just with this chart, because obviously the top ten website gives you, like, the top hundred... Um, yeah. At 11, there's Petula Clark's Downtown, and I am convinced that Philip Schofield had a thing, you know, on the children's TV show that even he was in the broom cupboard, where he was mm-hmm. trying to get Downtown to number one, and I think it okay. peaked up number 10 or whatever, but that must have been at this time when, when it came in, but then you start thinking, it's the BBC, why are the BBC trying to advertise yeah. this product? That That's really weird. Um yeah. There was a few that, that stuck out at me, um, like John Lennon's Jealous Guy and um, The Hollies, The Air That I Breathe. And I don't think they've been re-released. I think people have just been going to the shops and buying them. Okay. Which You get that with Spotify. You know, Total Africa is always in the top 100 because people just play it. Yeah. But it was a hard job to get en masse the entire country to go out and buy The Hollies, The Air I Breathe just to get it back in charts. Well, there was a lot of it in the 80s, wasn't there? There was... Um... You get a lot of old songs popping into the charts again through being in ads and things like that. So whether that was, uh, that but, was why. But you'd think they'd re-release them, wouldn't you? Rather than it just being people just going to the shops and, and yeah. back. Yeah. Um, but that was a reasonable top ten. So. Yeah. Um, I'm also getting introduced to a new segment now, which... <laughs> uh, brace yourself, people. So uh, I'm a big uh, Adam Buxton fan. And one of the <clears throat> one of my favorite things he does is look at music videos and read out the stupid YouTube comments people make on on YouTube videos. Uh, so obviously being the um, being the original innovator that I am, I decided to copy that idea. But instead of doing music videos, uh, do famous moments in wrestling history. Well, you're a big Adam Buxton fan, and I'm a big Buxton Brewery fan, so this is going to oh, work. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah. So I looked at. Uh, Giant Gonzalez's debut at the Royal Rumble in 93? 93. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, it's really weird with Giant Gonzalez because he's in WCW in like January '92, and then he seems to have like a year out, and then he's in um, WWF in '93. Yeah. But then he goes off and he films a load of stuff in '93. So you would have thought if he had this break that he would have done the stuff '92. Yeah. But yeah. It's it's a, it's a bit of a weird one. Uh, in preparation for this, though, Andy, yeah. I watched his last two televised matches in WCW because I wondered, would there be the same level of ridicule on the other channel mm. as, as there was in um, uh, the World Wrestling Federation? So well, I'm, I remember watching a match of his. So was his last match? I remember him having the stretcher match with Sid Vicious. No. So his last match at a TV taping was against Jobber Mark Canterbury, but I can't yeah. find that for love nor money, so I reckon it, it was just like a dark match at the TV taping. Okay. Um, his last official match was a six-man tag, um, Big Van Vader, Cactus Jack, and Terry Taylor. Fuck Terry. <laughs> yeah. Versus El Gigante, Ron Simmons, and Van Hammer. Wow. Uh, what an eclectic six-man that is. Yeah, the the match he'd had previously to that um, was Elegante versus Cactus Jack, uh, which is on WCW Pro that I watched, and that was three days after the Tokyo Dome show. So obviously, ten stars for the match where Vader burnt his face with the jets that come out of his um, big thing. And in the match against Cactus Jack, he has this huge plaster on his face and this like big red boil. But yeah. obviously because, you know, they, they film um, worldwide and then show it like a month later, he was perfectly fine in the film in a couple of days later. <laughs> so, uh, so, I mean, I've gone through these, the uh, the comments on on a clip of Giant Gonzalez's debut in WWF for the Royal Rumble. And these are the, the cream of the crop. OK, so bear with me. Uh, so. I'm going to read these people's names out just to shame them publicly uh, on the podcast. If any of these people are listening, I do apologise. So somebody called Terry Davis, 1331, has put, he put this only a day ago. So it's the first time he's seen this clip. He's put, man, I remember their match at WrestleMania. I still have my Undertaker's autograph on my napkin from the 90s. So whether that was the Undertaker or his personal Undertaker, I'm not sure. Um, it's like um, Sheldon Cooper on the Big Bang Theory, where he gets that napkin signed by Leonard Nimoy, and his yeah. wife. Sorry about this. His wipes his face with it. I have Leonard Nimoy's DNA. I can clone Mr. Spock. <laughs> Somebody called Andy uh, underscore WQ3UY. I just put bodysuit man with exclamation marks at the end of it. Um, Abdominus rules. Let's put, put whoa. Is that Bill Alfonso? I'm assuming he means um, hyper but not. Mm. Yeah. I mean, Elegante looked a lot better with, you know, just, just the long shorts uh, that said Elegante on than he did in the bodysuit and, you know, swinging a Abdullah the Butcher's stick at him. Right. Barabee on this one. This is a long one from somebody called Gary Holcomb, 7303. Take that suit off. You've got nothing but a beanpole. His, this is all one sentence, mine. <laughs> so get ready. Take that suit off. You've got nothing but a beanpole. His actual weight was around 330 pounds. He may have been the tallest of the giants, but Andre was the real giant. He had the seven foot, the 500 pounds, and the power of a diesel truck. Google feats of strength by Andre. You'll see him. You can't deny a 250 pound man 
jumping off the top rope and Andre catching me in midair and Andre body slamming 400 plus pound men. Never seen El Gigante do these things. Andre came off the top rope at 500 pounds. He was amazing. Never be another giant like him. Big Show was a second best for the same reasons. So, right. Well, well, well Grammarly is your friend. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, not being Andre the Giant is a problem a lot of wrestlers have. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've never Googled feats of strength by Andre the Giant, but we'll, we'll see if that does show him catching a. Well, I never saw him on Superstars doing those, um, like, no. with uh, Brian Jacks, so he can't have been that good. No, or a new bet with uh, Matthew <laughs> Kelly. <laughs> yeah. Well, he could name every single motorway just from the uh, a sample of the asphalt. Yeah, yeah. Um, at Squirrel ASMAR, I just put giant gondolas look so cheesy. So now, now if Vince McMahon had heard that, that would be the gimmick. Get, get him a ball and a gondola, goddammit. <laughs> uh, at Singello 1000, no tattoo Undertaker was much cooler. Uh, I wonder how much a tattoo does cost in the dark side. So, so it's saying in kayfabe and he's saying, you know, in the undead realm or wherever it is the Undertaker lives, parts unknown. Yeah. There's no tattoo artists. And at Bruselli9094, as put, this match happened two years after America won the Cold War. So. Yeah, when Jack <laughs> saved the world. <laughs> you could have watched Mountain Fiji save the world from Nazism. <laughs> so that's the end of that segment, which may come back next week. But um, yeah, so if you've got any suggestions, guys, for what uh, moment from. Actually, Rob, you can make the suggestion if you like. What moment from wrestling history would you like us to examine the YouTube comments for next week? Well, it's difficult because yeah, I don't know if um, stuff's on the on the network. I mean, the first thing that links to mind is the greatest wrestling match of all time: Terry Funk versus Chris Candido, where Funk gets hit, kicked by a horse. If that's uh, on. okay, <laughs> I could look for that. Then, then you, you've got to you've got to watch that. But um, yeah, uh, have a look for that. Otherwise, I'll have to have a think if that's not available. Okay, okay, well, we'll look at that for next week. So, right, so we need to get to what we're actually here to talk about, which is uh, Spring Stampede 2000. So you're the, I would, I've not watched much WCW 2000, but that that I have watched is probably big because I've been on your podcast <laughs> <laughs> watching it. So, and you're one of the only people that um, I know that is genuinely quite enthusiastic about this time period, WCW. I wasn't enthusiastic about the week before this time period when Terry right. Taylor the book. I mean, yeah. it, it's it's a funny patchwork quilt is 2000. You've got so many different creative periods. Um, Russo's there right at the start of January, and then there's the big fallout when he wants to make Tank Abbott champion, and all the millionaires club basically in the back try and and get him out, and and they do, and Sullivan Taylor and Ferrara come in and, and are booking the show and the last pay-per-view before this WCW Uncensored which features Cody Rhodes wrestling debut in a chicken suit uh, uh, running in in the Terry Funk Dustin um, Rhodes match um, is the Hulk Hogan Yappa Pie Strap match the absolute low point of WCW it got 60,000 pay-per-view buys it basically Brad Siegel sacked Bill Bush as like the executive um, producer of WCW and replaced him with himself 
because he was so disgusted with the performance of the company and the creative. I mean, they had to give Hogan 25% of the gate for turning up, you know, and it was the lowest of all time. And Hogan was on the radio slagging off the rest of the roster saying it was his fault in one of the worst angles ever created, which, which he pushes creative control for. So Russo and Bischoff come in and it is an absolute breath of fresh air. The, you know the the ratings are up um, and it's a very successful period pay-per-view buys are up you know people will look at 2000 spring stampede and say it only had 115,000 um, buys but that doesn't account for seasonality because spring stampede always went down from uncensored and the last few years you know in 96 it was 38 percent down 95 it was 35 percent down 94 it's 34 percent down 99 is 22 percent down this is 91 percent up this wasn't this wasn't a win this was like you know that world cup semi-final germany argentina now this is in pay-per-view buy terms and rating success you know it's categorically a massive success and this was the week after the highest selling pay-per-view of all time, WrestleMania 2000, that got 824 pay-per-view buys, and the most, ex- which was the most expensive and the only time in the entire Monday Night Wars when they charged $35 for the pay-per-view. I can't, WrestleMania 2000 was, that was a rubbish main event, wasn't it? That was when Vince, yeah. and that's when Austin turned heel, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I think so, yeah. Was it? No, it wasn't, uh, was it, was he? We can look up There's the cap. Isn't it two thousand the one with all the tag team matches and not WrestleMania two thousand with all yeah, the, the tag team? The main event was the the McMahon's in the corner, wasn't it? And it was I think Vince turned on Rock at the end of it. So it was Rock, Foley, Big Show, and Triple H maybe in the in the main Triple event. H, McMahon in the corner. So Triple H had Stephanie. Yeah. Uh, the Rock had Miss McMahon. Mick Foley had Linda McMahon, and Big Show had Shane McMahon. Um, yeah. Kane and Rikichi versus um, X-Pac and Road Dog. Um, they had Chris Benoit, um, Chris Jericho and Kurt Angle um, for the Intercontinental Championship and the European. And like yeah. the first all won the Intercontinental and the second won the European, yeah. which was yeah. a bit of a crazy, crazy. Um, China and Too Cool versus the Radicals, Perry and Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. I think this is in prime Dean Malenko sex pest storyline. <laughs> yeah. uh, truly awful. Um, Terry Runnels versus the cat. Ernest uh, Miller, obviously, but yeah. Uh, there was a triangle ladder match. Um, no, it wasn't Ernest Miller. It was Jerry Lawler's ex-wife. Um, Edge and Christian versus the Dudley boys versus the Hardy boys. Um, they had um, Test and Albert versus head cheese of steve blackman <laughs> to al snow scottish dan is favorite uh tag team yeah hardcore holly beat um crash holly and uh big boss man and bull buchanan beat, uh, <laughs> defeated the godfather and d'lo brown with ice tea and the whore train in their corner i forgot about it. The, the late era boss man bull buchanan team yeah not the highlight of his career but um, but that's the highest selling pay per view of know, all yeah. time, all time. Mm. Yeah. We saw this show, so, so everyone has spent up. <laughs> well, like so, you said the the when I was on UTT, it was before the, it was in the build up uh, to Uncensored, and that would have been either someone's first show or someone's 
it would have been the, the maybe the lowest rated or the highest yeah. rated. Um, but because the, the Sullivan Taylor and Ferrara literally went downhill. So yeah. I, th- I think it literally didn't get, you know, one week higher than the next. The ratings yeah. down, down, down every week. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I used to, the, the week before this was the big reboot trade. It's been spoken about a lot of times that it would rest and you want to do a, you know, everybody wants a, a reset from time to time. But they actually did it in WCW. Yeah, I mean, they had tried to do a soft reboot previously um, when Kevin Nash was the GM. Um, but, you know, they, they went whole hog with it here. And actually, that reboot episode of Nitro is one of the best two hours of wrestling television there's ever been. They really played into the real life backstage politics that were going on. Um, the whole Hulk Hogan, Billy Kidman argument, because Hogan had said that Kidman couldn't draw uh, fleas in a flea market sort of yeah. thing. Um, Rick Flair, Shane Douglas, where Shane Douglas had been calling him out for eight years, uh, that finally comes to a head. Just basically everything was laid on the table and it, it made for fantastic, compelling television. And nobody played the creative control card and were, were Billy Big Boots about it. They all sort of got on board with it. But do you um, think that's why it ultimately failed? Because, again... Like like you said, there's there's real life issues being played out here, like like the 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 Russo Hogan stuff and the Russo Flair stuff and the Douglas Flair stuff and the issues about people not being put over in the past and the younger people being put down. Yeah, yeah I mean it's it's a great storyline, but when that is actually the case anyway, and there's all that bad feeling amongst everybody, then it doesn't. Again, it's not a long term strategy is it if those are issues there anyway again short-term wise you can capitalize on but if people are generally working themselves into a shoot then again yeah you can see why eight and nine months down the line i think that's the the problem that a lot of people didn't trust the process and went back to the the previous problems that that had beset you know the backstage politics Previously, I mean, we, we've just covered a period on um, on Booking the Tankatory where Sting had the Human Torch match with Vampiro when he got set on fire. And, you know, they, they've got him in full body protective clothing and a mask and stuff. And then one week, Steve Borden decides, I've had enough of this shit and just turns back, turns up as Crow Sting. It's, you know, no explanation, no nothing. Steve Borden's just pissed off and, and doesn't want to do it anymore. And yeah. You know, how how can you build your storylines going forward if people are just going to say the bat home? Mm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so I watched the the reboot show before I watched this, and like you said, it, it is it's it's compelling TV because that that was the first time because Russo obviously been there since I think it was late sort of October '99 when he yeah. when he moved across and was there till early 2000 and was gone. Yeah, but just just fast-rolled out. Yeah. To, um, yeah. But this is the first time he'd ever been shown on screen. Well, yeah. it, 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 he had been the powers that be yeah. uh, in storyline, so you would hear his voice. They'd be like in his office, and you'd hear his voice, and you'd see his hand poking, sort of very being the elite uh, um, <laughs> Daniels type <laughs> yeah. scenario. Um, and and that had actually been 
sort of quite good and they have this feud with Piper and then Piper destroyed the office. Uh, and then you hear him say, uh, you know, we, we're going away next week. We're, we're having to initiate the plan. And, and that's when NWO 2000 debut, which would have been brilliant because the stable was Bret Hart, um, Jeff Jarrett, Scott Steiner, Hall and Nash. You know, you, you've got five legitimate big stars there. Um, but um, pretty much all of them got injured within two weeks mm. uh, and pretty serious injuries. So uh, it died a death. That surprised me when I saw, because again, in, in my head, this was when Brett had pretty much finished. So, so Brett, gets his, um, Brett gets his concussion at Starcade um, 2000 in the match against mm-hmm. Goldberg. Okay. And he works a couple of matches after that. Um, he has a match against Chris Benoit and Terry Funk, and they are both excellent matches when you consider one of the parties in it is incredibly concussed and one of the things with brett aside from his early heart foundation stuff you don't often see him working out and out heel because he's always sort of playing even when he was like the team canada um you know in wwf he was like a bit of a tweener because he was wanting to be facing canada or the rest of the world and, and heel in america but in these two matches, he is out and out heel detestable. And I, I think the matches are be- better for it. And it's just such a shame that we didn't get more of that from Bret Hart. Yeah. Oh, yeah, because he um, he was in that time in you know, his feud with um, with Michaels and, and Austin and in that sort of 97 period. He was and his style did. It's similar to. I mean, Danielson had a, had a small run in AEW as a heel, didn't he? But when you're that kind of, you've got that kind of aggressive style, even though you're a smaller guy, if you're an aggressive style with a submission-based kind of offence, you can be you can be a nasty, you can be an aggressive heel and be be a smaller guy. Um, but so, so Russo returned on that reboot show and then Bischoff came back. So Bischoff had been away since... A bit longer, well, hadn't he, since? Yeah, so um, Bischoff um, had been away du- during the time that Kevin Nash was in charge of the booking. And with sort of Na- Kevin Nash and Kevin Sullivan, the two Kevins, for a long period, there was like Kevin Sullivan with Kevin Nash as number two, and then they flipped it round. It's Kevin Nash with Kevin Sullivan as number two. So uh, I guess you would get a bl- bit of the bleeding of the ideas of each in so, um, the, the creative periods. Um, but they had uh, a tag team, the West um, Hollywood Blondes. Um, it was um, Lordy and um, Lenny Lane. Uh, and they were playing very close to the wind, sort of this, you know, Adrian Street type characters. And um, I think WCW had actually contacted... Um, uh, Glad, which I think was the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation, uh, mm. and said, look what a good job we're doing. Uh, and, you know, it was, um, you know, the chance they were getting from the crowd. Um, yeah. you, know, you can only imagine. Yeah. It was yeah. not a positive image. And um, there was an article in the Washington Post about how how awful it was. Uh, and it's, it's believed that, you know, this is sort of the straw that brought the camels back with, uh, the executives thinking that that Bischoff needed to, uh, to, to take some time off, that that he was allowing this creative and basically homophobia creating gimmick on TV. Um, so Bischoff had been gone for um, a good long while. That that was before 
um, uh, Russo and uh, Ferrara had come in and uh, unfortunately brought Terry Taylor with them from the yeah. WWE. Yeah. So Bischoff brought back. So when Bischoff came back this time, was he solely a character or was he still involved in booking and? So I think the big problem um, that Brad Siegel had when he brought Bischoff and Russo back was that he didn't explicitly explain to either of them what the roles were or clarify that they were any different than they had been previously. I mean, uh, one of the reasons Rousseau left it in the first place was because he, he had a contract saying that he was solely in charge of creative. And then they're saying, well, you know, I think we need to work with a um, committee if you're wanting Tank Abbott to be champion. And he's like, well, that, that's not in my contract. You can you can pay me out and I'll sit at home. Um, obviously, Bischoff had been, you know, the executive producer of WCW, heavily involved in um, creative. And I think both of them, to a certain extent, at least from the creative side of those roles, thought they were coming back to their original positions. Okay. So both of them thought they were the senior partner. I think I think legally, Vince Russo was probably contractually the senior partner. But obviously, Bischoff doesn't see it that way because he's been executive producer of the whole damn thing. I mean, in his mind, he he's not playing second fiddle to anyone, is he? So obviously. Um, you know, that that would have caused massive friction between the two of them. And, um, uh, well, one of the causes of the friction is on this show that we'll discuss as, as we get f- further in. But, yeah, uh, yeah it, you know, obviously they, they both end up, there's a week where they both go home in the middle of this partnership, um, which is uh, interesting. We've, we've come on unbooking the territory. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So on that big reboot show, there there was the uh, you know the the battle lines drawn between the two the two factions. So the the new blood led by Bischoff and Russo, and then the uh, the millionaires club. But that so see that was a, a genuine thing though backstage as well previously. Do you think? Oh yeah, so definitely. The divide yeah. between the yeah. Yeah, and, and this is what Fast Russo out originally, that, you know, he, he was wanting to push push guys like Tank Abbott and the old guy were wanting to, you know, keep, keep their positions and the paychecks and, you know, um, with an eye on the next contract negotiation, there's, there's no vested interest in creating a whole load of new stars, is there? Um, yeah. and obvi- obviously, it's, it's very, you know... They, they, Obviously, a lot of them did end up going to WWF, but they'd look at that and say, well, hang on a sec. They've created, you know, Mankind and The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin and Triple H. It's not the old guard over there. Mm. You know, there'd be not potentially a place for the Hogans and the Pipers and the Flares. Yeah. So on that on that show, they made the decision to strip all the titles and, and vacate all the titles and start again with a with a tournament at the at the pay-per-view, which was a week later. So it's it's very short turnover, isn't it? Basically it's a this is the beginning and then there's a pay-per-view the next week. So yes they did. Um and you know again it makes for interesting television and the you know people will throw their hands up. Um it, interestingly enough though the world championship would have been vacant by this point had that all not happened because um on Thunder Sid gets a um, separated shoulder and is out for months and months, about eight months or something. So okay. he'd have had to take the title anyway. Yeah, I watched Nitro before, but I forgot about Thunder. even existed. I didn't watch the Thunder. Oh, so. So they, they have a um, qualifying match for the US tournament, um, and it's Sid versus The Wall, and Sid wins. 
Um, no, uh, no, it's not Sid versus the World. I'm not, sorry, it's um, for the um, World Championship tournament because Sid loses his match. Sorry, Sid wins his match, but then the wall comes out and attacks him. Okay. But then it goes to break, and then it just shows like Sid laying in the ring completely out of it. And then Bischoff comes down and says, because Sid's out of it, we're saying that he lost his match, he, did, he didn't win. And I think they must have filmed that after because the, the walls hit him with the chair and okay. legitimately done serious damage. And they've, they've had to come up on the spot of, you know, how, how they're going to deal with it. And it's a really jarring segment because you're like, well, he was stood up a minute ago and now he's dead to yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a really weird one. But yeah, Sid, yeah, would have been out of action regardless for this show. So was Sid? So who was the champion? Who was the world champion before it was like? Hey, was it Sid? So it was Sid before. Um, yeah. Sid had. Um, so what the the problem they'd had going into sold out was um, that Bret Hart had had to retire with concussion, and uh, Goldberg had. Uh, unfortunately decided to attack a limo without wearing a leather jacket as he was told did a massive injury to his arm so so yeah. he um so they end up having this title match between um benoit and um and sid um jeff jarrett's also been out with concussion because benoit's not the top of a cage and headbutted him and <laughs> Jack Jarrett uh, can't see straight anymore. So uh, they've got this massive injury problem. Uh, and Kevin Sullivan's, since Vince Russo left after Thunder, been put in charge for the pay-per-view with, with no build. And obviously he's got the personal issues with Chris Benoit and Nancy Benoit. So he comes up with a great idea of making Chris Benoit champion. Um, Chris Benoit, the rest of the radicals, you know, Eddie, Eddie Guerrero, Perry, Perry Sand, Dean Malenko, um, uh, as well as Conan and Shane Douglas, um, all feel that they're being underutilised and they feel that, you know, Russo was pushing them, but they're going to go back to business as usual with Sullivan and they're not going to get pushed. So even though Kevin Sullivan puts the title on Chris Benoit it's sold out, the next day Benoit vacates it and they all try and go to WWF. Um, WWF say they don't want Conan and Shane Douglas, so... Yeah. A bit embarrassing, but but then Sid's champion, uh, and his first match, first title defense against Kevin Nash, they decide, oh, it's a great idea. We'll have him using the crippler crossface as his finisher, as a a piss take on Benoit, and he legitimately gives Kevin Nash a neck injury and is out for months. So you, I mean, you you cannot make this shit up. The um you know um the the sort of stuff that that was happening during during this point. Um. So yes, Sid's Sid's champion, but uh, as we say, he, he wouldn't have made it as far as Spring Stampede with uh, yeah. the falling faster than members of the AEW roster. Wow, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, so, so Spring Stampede Rising was from the uh, United Center of Chicago, and it was this was well, I looked, I went forward and looked. This was the the last big crowd that WCW drew. So it was twelve twelve thousand five hundred fifty six, which is obviously up a lot from. The previous pay-per-view. So, so it's funny with the WCW crowds, because a lot of them you know, that we've covered in the next couple of months from this and stuff, they look full because of the A, the arenas that they've been booked in be, being smaller, and they yeah. get booked a long time in advance, and B, the arenas, you know, the potentially big arenas like this, because this is the arena that Money in the Bank 2011 was in. Um, okay. And, you know, it doesn't look as big because it's, it's partitioned. But the reason it's partitioned is it would have been sold as partitioned 
Yeah. And but it's only ever tried to get that many people in rather than, you know, and, and there's certainly been shows that have looked packed to the rafters, but you know for a fact that they'd, they'd organised it when they were selling the tickets as half the arena. And, yeah. and then, you know, do, do you open the other half or and try and get more or whatever? So I, d- I don't think those things get looked at when you look at the attendances, you know, how far in advance were things booked? What what were they trying to sell? You know, um thing especially in in what was such a fluctuating era for wcw the well, position yeah. the company when they booked this show was probably completely different the position of the company when the show came about so one of the massive problems they had in 99 and uh, i mean the the kevin nash creative is it, it is truly awful um is that the the booked in the massive arenas so they end up rattling around a load of big stadiums yeah. and stuff so they've tried to address that for 2000 and they do have periods in 2000 where they're definitely in growth, but they've probably not got the arenas then to leverage on that and get bigger attendances in because of how far in advance they've booked them. Yeah, yeah. But the intro to the show, I mean, one of the main bases of Russo's reboot seems to be swearing. He <laughs> does enjoy it, doesn't he? He's, uh, I mean, yeah. who's going on booking the territory is the MJF of 2000. Yeah. So the first, yeah, the intro to the pay-per-view is Russo's promo from Nitro. And he says, uh, I, I, and I quote, Ric Flair, you are a piece of shit on the bottom of my shoe. Not bleeped out as well. I'm going to scrape off that shit and flush your ass down the toilet personally. So, I mean. The the Vince Russo-Ric Flair rivalry that comes in the next couple of weeks with this with David Flair is absolute gold i know rick flair hates it but it's some really entertaining television vince russo saying that he's david flair's real father and you know because rick flair was never there to look after him and, and he's adopted him and you know that it takes him like on sightseeing sh- trips and uh you, you know he's giving him gifts and giving him attention and all the stuff you know it's very much like the dominic mysterio thing yeah. but with um the, this um shit disturber in the, Maria Ripley, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's got Daphne in the background, who's uh, also yeah. a guy. Yeah, yeah. I suppose Russo is good because playing up at the New York thing, again, it's a big WWE thing, isn't it? The New York thing, and especially in a lot of these areas where WCW was popular, you know, they see people from New York as being the Antichrist anyway. So it just adds to the whole uh, the whole villain thing. Um, I mean, Dan and I have speculated on because um, uh, on Tankatero we basically ended up going through <laughs> every single week of yeah yeah thousand and you know we, we have speculated is the way that Vince Russo seen today partly because of how effective a heel he was in WCW do people buy into you know what he was saying at the time and think that's that's really him yeah I mean it's part of that isn't it it's similar to the the it's similar in the way to the to the cornet ship obviously cornet's gone on in still portrays a character to this day almost but to his detriment now probably whereas people would take him more seriously he wasn't still trying to be that same character as he was 20 30 years ago i mean we've covered an episode that's um, i think it's dropping next week um, Ron's Championship Wrestling uh, with with yeah. Ron Wright as the, the figurehead. But the, there's an episode that, because uh, it, it was Terry Landell was involved in the promotion, there's an episode of Jim Carnett's podcast where he openly admits that he's tried to kill Terry Landell on a number of occasions and just been unsuccessful in his attempts to kill him. And yeah. all comments on there are like, I wish you'd caught up with him. I wish you'd managed to kill him. 
you know, for, for all his, his supporters, and you're like, well, what's going on? <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah. Um, the other bit, the intro, is then focused on the Bischoff Hogan storyline. Now, I have to. There's a few people's hair on this show. I need to comment. I have to congratulate Bischoff on that hair. Oh, the silver fox. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's think, prick hair as well, isn't it? So it's 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 it's, it's quality uh quality haircut. Yeah, well he's, he's always had strong hair, uh, you know. Yeah. No, not doing a Rene Goulet award on this show. But. No, 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 no. Um, but yeah, that was that was part of the Nitro. Was the whole uh, Hulk Hogan obviously hadn't watched the beginning of the show, so he turned up to Nitro still thinking that Bischoff was his uh was his pal when the what the chat to Eric and then Eric turns on him with Kidman in the ring and. Hogan bleeds, and <laughs> we'll get to that later on. We we'll get to the the, uh, the Kidman stuff, uh, but those are like the two big stories, I suppose, with the big the big main sort of protagonist in the New Blood. Well, we finally find out who was inexplicably driving the White Hummer. Um, the White it, Hummer. It makes no sense from the previous storylines, but it's Eric Bischoff and Billy Kidman. And Hogan's determined he's going to eat Bischoff's ass alive as well, aren't they? So, to, to be absolutely fair with Hogan. Um, this period when he goes into being Terry Belayer and he's just, he's himself really. He's an angry, entitled person with a chip on his shoulder. He's some of the best work he's ever done. And it was a real crying shame when he decided to play his creative control card and go back into the red and yellow because he was doing some sterling work as Terry Belayer. Yeah, he was like, again, in, in a good way, it looks like someone's dad trying to beat up a, a you know a, a really annoying kid yeah um but yeah so that's the kind of beginning and we, we get the actual promo for the beginning of the show which shows all the main sort of protagonists in the uh in the pay-per-view um and then we get going so we've got the commentary team which is shivani scott hudson and mark madden and then mark madden's a favorite of uh of you guys and uh on that reboot um nitro show <laughs> Yeah, it, it, it's nothing. It's nothing to do with Mark Madden retweeting our stuff, the <laughs> and stuff. But but thank you very much for that, Matt. I mean, the the, the thing, you know, a broken Madden's right twice a day. He, he he often comes out with a load of crap, but when he hits gold, it is absolute gold. Yeah, yeah. I think he was a bit much on this paper. I think, but, uh, but it wasn't got, his finest moment tonight. But you give yeah. him time, and he is going to give you gold. And he got beat up on Nitro by Tank Abbott. Well, this is why he's got a concussion, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. I didn't get that, really, because was Tank, Tank was, was he a heel, Tank, at this point? He, he was calling out Goldberg, wasn't he, on the, on the replay? Yeah, well, sort of Tank had, had suffered um, that he was working towards um, a pay-per-view match at Uncensored with Meng, uh, and then Meng got suspended for backstage uh, shenanigans. So the rugs kind of got pulled out from under his feet. And then um, th- there was talk of Goldberg coming back effectively earlier than he did. So Tank spends weeks calling out Goldberg. And, I've, to, you know, I mean, we're a bit biased. We've got a Tank Abbott podcast. But <laughs> he did a sterling job of having a one-sided rivalry, which isn't easy. You know, yeah. I mean... Uh, um, Chris Benoit did it with Dean Malenko, that kind of thing. But there's there's not often when one person has carried on the rivalry. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, they, they run down the card. So the, the main the main selling point at the beginning of the card is the the world title match, which is Jarrett and DDP. Um, 
And then you mentioned there's going to be tournaments for the US title and the, the tag title. And there's going to be a match for the Cruiserweight title and for the hardcore title as well. But first up, we get, well, my first, I thought was going to be the main event Mafia coming out from TNA when I first heard the music. But it was uh, the Mamelukes, uh, which was, now, I always get confused with the, obviously the full-blooded Italians in ECW and the Mamelukes in WCW and then the FBI again in WWE. So there is a, there's a crossover between yeah. all three of them so- so there's a tiny crossover because Tony Mameluke, who was in ECW and stuff in, in the, the FBI, um, was originally in the storyline about bringing the Mamelukes in because it was supposed to be his father that was, you know, the mafia kingpin sort of thing that um, Disco Inferno had got himself into, you know, debt with the firm. And then they, they sent in the... Um, Big Vito and Johnny the Bull with Tony Mameluke in the background to uh, collect the debt. And, and then, you know, effectively Disco becomes uh, an indentured servant to the family. He has to work off his debt um, yeah. with them, uh, which is why he's here tonight. Yeah, yeah, fucking Disco Inferno. Um, but so I didn't read, really, I, I did a bit of digging on Vito's background. So he was uh, first known as Skull Von Crush. He was indeed, yeah. And, yeah. uh, he um, trained with Johnny Rods and uh, I guess has long um, callbacks with Vince Russo because when uh, Russo and John Rezzi had had their fallout on the radio show that they used to do, um, they both went their separate ways and uh, Rezzi had his show and Russo had his. But Russo brings in Big Vito as his co-host. Okay. So, I mean, that, that's like 1990 maybe. Um, you know, yeah. quite a long way way back. That you know, this is before he starts working for WWF and all this sort of stuff. When when he's just um, a fan, basically, you know, yeah. with, a, with, uh, with with a podcast. Yeah, yeah. So he was in Japan, USWA. He was he was on early episodes of Raw, wasn't he? Apparently. As... Yeah, yeah. He was a WWF jobber. Yeah, it's called. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. Jobber to the stars. Yeah. Um, um, obviously, then he's back later on in the two thousands wearing a skirt. And... <laughs> <laughs> then his sort of most famous run, I suppose, was the ECW run um, when he changed his name to Vito the Skull Logarasso. And again, I could be making—I'm just taking all this from Wikipedia, so I could, could be making all this up. But joined the uh, the Boldies in uh, ECW along with at various points Tony DeVito, who I'm sure had a hit in the nineties. Yeah, the yeah, uh, Angel. Angel Medina, yes, yeah. Not David. Uh, not David Bourne. What was his name? David uh, in uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, I, I, I never really watched <laughs> the Vampire Slayer. Although everyone at the time was, oh, you've got to watch, you've got to watch Buffy, you've got to watch yeah. it. And it's like, I, I don't really. Uh, I know Anthony Head was in uh, from the Nescafe adverts. I do know that. Yeah. Uh, Vic Grimes. Yes. Yeah. We, we covered them on an episode of ECW Hardcore TV with the with the Baldies. And yeah, DeVito's in the ring and he issues an open challenge. And then New Jack's music hits and his his night goes downhill. Yeah. That was his main sort of feud, I think. Also, PN News was in the Baldies and yeah. Red Dog. A lot of these names mean nothing. I know, I know PN News is, but uh, yeah. I don't know Red Dog is. No, no. Red Dog's not uh, not ringing a bell. No. Uh, and then Johnny the Bull was a, um, he was sort of like a power plant guy. I mean, he was a, a doorman at Sting and Lex Luger's club. And he came across DDP who encouraged him to train as a wrestler. 
but he uh, attended a tryout but didn't fully train. Then he got stabbed six times and decided to adjust his lifestyle slightly inside the a wrestler. And his real name, Jonathan Hugger. Yeah, and then he ends up in WCW with a torn urethra. <laughs> okay. Which has to be the worst wrestling injury anyone's ever had. It was like, um, who was it? Jerry Lawler got beat up by somebody on Raw, didn't he? And Michael Cole said, oh, he's been, uh, just found out he's got uh, anal bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was Nia Jax. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Jonathan Hugger, he's uh, in first in WCW, then obviously he'd go on to uh, form the Mamelukes and uh, they won the tag titles, didn't they, a couple of times? Yeah, they did, yeah, yeah. And then Vito goes on to have, uh, um, it becomes the king of the hardcore division. Okay. Um, <laughs> I had a, an interview with him once, and uh, he said, uh, you know, the night he won the hardcore championship, um, they, they had, or, or certainly, because I, I think they, it, effectively, um, it, it ends up with, because Terry Funk is the thorn in the side of the new blood, being hardcore champion, they can't get it off him for love no money, and they set up this match for the pay-per-view, um, I think it's Great American Bash, where it's Bischoff versus um, Terry Funk and the Dex incredibly weighed in Bischoff's favour and he eventually wins it and then he gives the title to Vito but then Vito effectively has to you know prove his worth by beating Terry Funk and the night that he beat Terry Funk um they have this big thing in the bar and Ric Flair saying it's your world champion you have to buy drinks for everyone and you know this is he was only hardcore champion, but yeah, Vito uh, <laughs> sees that as a big thing. But no, he, he legitimately was, um, you know, the heart and soul of the hardcore division for for a bit, and and then he goes on for you know white meat babyface runs. So uh, big stuff to come from Vito in two thousand. And who are they wrestling? Well, they're wrestling Team Package. Team Package, yeah, Rick Fire and Lex Luger and Liz and. Lex Luger is one of the poster boys for um, taking your bat home with the current creative during this period. Okay, really? Well, well Luger has a strong belief in if I stand and pose, that's going to, you know, sell pay-per-views. Yeah, yeah. He's good at that. Yeah, but the World Bodybuilding Federation didn't take off. No, no. And this is 1990, this, well, this is 2000, actually, isn't it? So... But, um, yeah, Luger's heyday was probably uh, a few years later. And, well, Flair at this point. But he's still chugging down the Ica Pro. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he still does a full entrance with the posing. But they, uh, yeah, so they're backstage. They have a little interview segment with uh, with Gene. And Paul, I mean, they all, to be fair, they all look, they all look slightly depressed, to be honest. I'd say all three of them, really. I, I mean, I, I know both Ric Flair and Liz hate the storylines they have coming. Mm. But they are excellent. Okay. Okay. Well, this is, I mean, flares. They, they both look like somebody you'd see in the pub on a Sunday afternoon, don't they? Luger and Flair, to be honest. Flair's in his polo shirt and trousers. You think, wow. But, well, but it, there was an interview, wasn't there, with um, Mean Gene? Yeah. He says, um, you know, um, Russo's made it clear it's going to be a street fight. So street fight rules, baby. And he's like, no, no, no one's ever made that clear. That, that this is a wrestling match, <laughs> you know. And it's like, well, they did say at the side, didn't they? That apparently the new, the um, the new blood and the authority said like to be a bit more lax tonight on the rules. We'll get to that later on. Um, and yeah, so Flair says, yeah, street fight rules, and he's going to wrestle in his polo shirt and slacks and shoes. I think he'd actually had um, an operation um, okay. and he wanted to cover up the scar. So I think that was the real reason he was 
um, wanting to wear his polo shirt. Yeah, but he didn't. I mean, come the end of WCW, like that that last match with him and Sting, he was wrestling in a t-shirt and wasn't he? So he was probably had a bit of a an issue at the time with confidence and again, if he had if he had an operation and stuff. Um, but yeah, so they broke him out. Lex Luger does his intro, um, and uh, then we get Russo come out, calls Lex the very small package. <laughs> you shouldn't laugh, but <laughs> well, it, it, it's MJF two thousand, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, the amount of stories he took. I, I, but I honestly think if you put Vince Russo dialogue in MJF's mouth today, people will be on Twitter the next day saying how brilliant it was. Probably, yeah. But Russo thinks it's unfair that these two wily old veterans are going to be taking on these young whippersnappers. So he's going to level the uh, level the playing field by sending out some uh, some Nazis. <laughs> yeah, so, so I wanted to watch a match with Nazis, and you said no, we're going to watch a match with some Nazis. Yeah, yeah. We get them in the end, don't we? These guys, oh, again, they, they just make my heart sink whenever I see these guys in WWE, WCW, everywhere. Well, we covered a match of um, uh, an episode of Raw where the Harris boys had like been to school with a big country music star. So they ended up having this country music star on Raw because he was a mate of the Harris brothers. Yeah. So. I think for one night, the Harris brothers paid off in wrestling. But they were, did this come up the other day when we were talking, they were involved in, in TNA later on, weren't they? Some, oh, yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. The, uh, early weekly pay-per-view TNA, yeah. Hmm. I think in later, the later, later stages when the ownership of TNA changed hands, they were involved in one of the companies that were there, um, that bought TNA, or that took TNA over from um, Dixie Carter. Um but yeah, yeah. Um, just four on two. Somehow, Ric Flair in his snooker hall gear and um, Luger are going to beat the Harris brothers and uh, and the Mamelukes. Um, and we've got Slick Johnson in this match, who is the. I don't know. I think he's. He was in 2023. He watched the Marbury Edwards and Bryce Rensburg matches. He jumped in a time machine and went back to 2000 and was a fucking distraction. I didn't realise he was because he was in TNA, wasn't he? Yeah, he's it, it just it, it, all the pieces come together, don't they? You know, it's like this is where Aubrey and Bryce got it from. <laughs> Johnson. I mean, this match looks like I, I wanted to call the police when Flair is getting beaten up by somebody. Don't you worry, Andy, the police will be out later. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they turn up a bit later on. Yeah. Um. So Liz slaps Disco, doesn't she? Which I mean. You would, wouldn't you, if the chance arose. And he gets taken up by security then. Uh, Johnny the baller, good in this match. He's putting off some ridiculous moves. I, I did like that when Disco got rammed into the post, there was a massive pop from the crowd. Yeah, yeah I wonder, because you couldn't really see what's going on outside, could you? And the crowd go mental. And it's because, yeah, Liz yeah. is beating up Disco Inferno. Um, so Flair basically takes on three people outside. We didn't really take on. He's getting beaten up by three people outside. And it what? leaves uh, Luger and Johnny in the ring. I was just going to say, when when the disco got taken away, Mark Madden said that there was something vaguely Sicilian yeah. about the guys. So, yeah. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, Luger gets Johnny up in the, in the torture rack and the old guys win. So, yeah. match one of 14 ticked off. So, uh, uh, so but that's the thing, with this show, there's a match and then we're straight backstage immediately. There's no pause of breath, is there? So, backstage now... Mean Gene and Mike Awesome. I think one of the things was at this time, and and then you know, Chris Kresk is doing the same thing over on the other channel. They were actively trying 
to keep the audience's attention, to not give them any excuse to stop watching. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and that was very much the, the, the philosophy of, you know, Russo von Bischoff on this side of the channel and Chris Kresge on the other, um, on Raw, that, you know, that they were, you know, get as many um, segments in, it's fast-paced, it's, it's cut. You know, and, and if you watch the TV of the time, and I, I always compare this to, like, um, The Word and Euro Trash and Jerry Sprinter, it, it fits in with the, the TV environment of the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, see, see, Awesome's backstage with uh, Mean Gene. That he turned up on the reboot show, didn't he? Like Awesome. That was that his first appearance. It was, yeah. That that was his debut when he attacks Kevin Nash. Yeah, Nash. I'm sure Nash was smiling on the floor when he was getting beaten up by uh, my course. He didn't didn't look to be in too much discomfort, Nash. Um, well, he had a crutch because to, to cover the Sid neck injury, WCW yeah. thought they'd pretend that Kevin Nash had a leg injury. Okay, and that's why you get him in the wheelchair and stuff with his leg out, and that's yeah. why I, th- I think it is uncensored where he's there with the the pot uh, and the. Um, blanket over it and then he stands up and the pot yes. <laughs> um so yeah he uh he turned up for the reboot show and attacked kevin nash he was still ecw champion at this point yes he was um i don't think paul Heyman was particularly paying him um no. or you know it, there's a lot of stuff you know and this whole thing about oh wcw wasted mike awesome and i've got opinions on that but in all fairness you can be a big fish in a small pond and being arrears on your mortgage yeah or you can be a mid-card guy in wcw and be very comfortably off and yeah. i know from a wrestling fan point of view that's heresy but from mike awesome's life point of view yeah. that is a perfectly logical decision yeah so if you're listening cody Rhodes, then uh, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> uh, but they're, they're, uh so yeah he's having a chat and he bumps into an old mate from ecw bam bam yeah Again, he looked. There's a lot of people on the show. I think just looked. Remember, it was just WCW at the time, but he looked slightly depressed as well. I think when I saw him around in the river with Fit Finley and um, <laughs> Brian Knobs of late. <laughs> they have a few words and then um, awesome attacks. Bam, bam, uh, and yeah, and we're off. Not a strong promo guy, Mike Awesome. The, 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 this this was the problem, and and a lot of people look at his matches and say, oh, how, how could WCW drop the ball with Mike Awesome when he's been left alone with the mic? It's terrible. Yeah. But for the, the, there are odd occasions yeah. when he does well. That there is um um a backstage vignette where he's at a hospital, which is excellent. But I imagine they took fifty takes to get it. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so speaking from a uh... One wrestling high point. Now we've got Jimmy Hart wrestling a, a local DJ. Yeah, from um, Q100 number one radio. Yeah, it's Mankow. I, I honestly thought, because, you know, you've watched this on the network. I, I've um, watched uh, an original cop. From the original. <laughs> yeah, from the yeah. Was released at the time. And I didn't think you'd get this. <laughs> no, sadly, we, sadly, I did get it. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, uh, so Minecraft, yeah. But but obviously they've set this up over a few weeks, and they've done they, this has been done with the previous creative team. So this okay. is getting the whole you know reboot and everything because they have an argument where um, Minecraft's saying that Hulk Hogan's the biggest name in wrestling and he can do better than a clown in a jacket and stuff and yeah you know yeah. Hogan face and uh, you know this week we present him as a dick. You know? Yeah. 
So Jimmy Hart then attacked Mankow on the show and then caused an eye injury, so he has to wear an eye patch. Um, yeah, Pierre Lafitte of his day. Yeah, yeah. Apparently Mankow is going to be in the next Adam Sandler, Adam Sandler movie, which was uh, Little Nicky at the time. Yes. Yeah, not 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 one of the uh, more famous Adam Sandler movies. I've not seen it, no. Um, Jimmy comes out with Hale. Who's Hale? I, never, I was like watching these shows and I see somebody who I never heard of. I never heard of Hale. So Hale is one of the many people that put in the Lord Humongous gimmick. Mm. Uh, you know, he was a power plant guy that Jimmy Hart was very high on. And he doesn't do too much after this. And And it's a surprise because basically over on Worldwide and Saturday Night, Jimmy Hart and Arn Anderson um, were, were basically given carte blanche to do what they want. It was a bit like, you know, AEW Darker Elevation, you know, what, what happens on Saturday night and worldwide, stays on Saturday night worldwide. But they didn't book him that much yeah. there. So it's like, you'd think if, if you were really high on this guy and you were in charge of booking those shows, you'd have put him on. But yeah, mm. Jimmy Hart wasn't. <laughs> and, you know, we've seen how much money he's uh, ripped off from... Uh, Wrestlelicious, so yeah, couldn't have had any compunctions about morality. So Jimmy's wearing a Howard Stern T-shirt. Um, Mankow comes out with his entourage. So Al Roker Jr. I wasn't aware of Al Roker Senior or Al Roker Jr. To be honest, Brian the Whipping Boy and somebody called Turd. Now that sounds like a Vince McMahon character. <laughs> <laughs> A couple of years ago on The Apprentice, they, they, they had this team and every single thing they did looked like a turd. So like they had to like make a logo for a cruise liner and they're like, oh, well, let's show the earth down below. And it was just a turd. Just <laughs> like an electric toothbrush and they're like, let's make it like a brown wizard's wand. And it was just a turd and all this sort of stuff in it. And it was like, yeah, yeah, turd. Yeah. Before the match, Mankind just gets on the mic and calls Jimmy Hart a piece of shit. So, I mean... It's pay-per-view, and so you can swear. Um, and and it's just to thank um, Eric Bischoff for giving him the opportunity to be here. Bischoff's a heel with the new I mean, Jimmy Hart's hair at this point as well. I mean, Jimmy Hart hasn't aged ever, has he? Well, I think he's using car touch-up paint on that hair. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, I mean, Jimmy Hart, I mean, we're going to go through this match, but um, obviously there's eye issues with Mankow because of the, uh, the previous injury. Um there's a ref bump. Uh, Jimmy Hart hits the ref after a big splash from the top rope. Of course. Actually, I covered a Jimmy Hart match. When we one of us on Ash Preston at uh, Christmas time, we did uh, Jimmy Hart versus Norman Smiley when Jimmy Hart was in a suit of armour. Northampton's own. Yeah, he'll come up in a bit as well. Um, Hell comes in, picks up Mankow, chucks him onto his mates. Uh, and, <laughs> said he, uh, and someone commentary says, oh, he wiped out his head. So, so you know it was worth it just for the uh just for the joke um yeah uh, dan griffin would have turned that into half an hour <laughs> man cow hits jimmy hart with a chair and then gets the win because you know it's jimmy hart on pay-per-view um and then punches him after the three count <laughs> yeah yeah and then kidman comes out and beats jimmy hart some more which is uh which is uh some following from thunder they mentioned did he do some more thunder or so I think he's beating him up because he's, you know, I got the association with Hulk Hogan. Yeah. But, it, but it's a weird situation to be in because Mankow is kind of the face in this audience. Mm. And he's thanking the heel Eric Bischoff for doing this. And then at the end of the match, you know. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I, 
it's a little bit more complex than faces and heels. Everyone's got motivations and real life concerns. Um, but uh, but Jimmy Hart deserves a slap for what he did to Wrestlelicious. So um, yeah. yeah. Um, so bit, you know, Ten years in advance. <laughs> <laughs> I was straight backstage again. So Russo's telling off the the lads from the tag team match. We're not getting the job done. And then uh, it's the wall. Like, the wall. <laughs> the only my only um, awareness of the wall is the Hulk Hogan clip when he's pointing at the building like uh, across the thing. It's just like over there. It's the wall. It's the wall, brother. Yeah. It's, it's the tiny and he's got his, his hand. He's holding out the hand for the check stand like <laughs> about a mile away on the building. And uh, that's my only knowledge of the wall. So, so you didn't see the wall getting introduced with uh, Berlin in the gimmick. They had to whip away sharpish uh, after Columbine. No, 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 no. Well, I got written down that he was uh, he was Berlin's bodyguard. He was, yeah, yeah, for a week. Yeah. They knocked that on the head after Columbine. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's king of the table matches, the wall. Um, okay. He'd come out carrying a table on his head. Uh, he ends okay. up joining the Misfits in action and being Sergeant A. Wall. Oh, yeah, so it works. Well, I've written down here, he's, he's feuded with the, the Kiss Demon, or the, just the Demon. Yeah, um, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. The, the, yeah. We, we we have opinions on the Kiss Demon. You know, <laughs> I think he was done dirty by Sullivan Taylor and Ferrara early too. Right. And he dressed as Scott Steiner, of course. So this is two heels. So, so what? It's yeah, it's two New Blood members. Um, yeah. Theme? Did you get for Scott Steiner? I got the old Steiner's music. Yeah. No, that's the one that that's the one that was okay. originally there. I, I did. Yeah, I did so, that was a bit weird. I was expecting the siren and the. Um, or was, yeah. that, was that after this, or was that, that before yeah. this, wasn't it? I think it's before and after. Yeah, yeah. yeah. For so some I, reason, he had the face Steiner music. Yeah, I think because he's uh, millionaires. Well, I don't know. No, actually, New Blood. Maybe they're trying New to make. Blood, it. Yeah. yeah, but he's like he should be millionaire. He's on the cusp yeah. of being millionaire, isn't it? It's like that Mr. Burns thing when he tries to join the billionaires club, but he's only got nine hundred ninety-nine million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, this was this wasn't a classic, was it? This match? Uh, no, no, no wall match is ever a classic, but it, it's always good to see Scott Steiner. It, it's just a little depressing to see Scott Steiner without Madeja and Shakira, who is going to have uh, in tow because they, they really do add, you know, to, to his whole, whole package. Um, we did get a nice pop from the crowd at the end of the match, so at least mm-hmm. people enjoyed it. Um, uh, oh, yeah. The wall, the wall choked flat slam slick Johnson through a table. So mm. thank wall. And that is a disqualification because I'm no, not that, sure. That's a disqualification. That should be a bonus. It should be. <laughs> yeah. See, it's a Steiner's like gouged eyes at the wall and then pushed the ref in front of him. So the wall decided to choke down someone with no with his eyes shut and he chokes on the ref and said through the table. So Steiner wins. Yeah. And again, t- tonight the interpretation of the rules is is very um very inconsistent. Um, but it's Steiner goes through to the next round. Yeah. The title tournament. So I I have a theory that this is Electronic Arts' fault. Okay. The developing WCW backstage assault, which is right. all about weapons and all this sort of stuff. And I think a lot of WCW in this era, especially the hardcore division, you know, starting backstage and all this, and then the lax rules in the ring. Yeah. I think is an edict to try and tie in with the game that's, right. you know, going to overshoot its release date and uh, sell 200,000 copies and be a massive flop. <laughs> it's actually, it's really entertaining. It, you know, it, it, yeah, it's it's not a great wrestling story game, but it, if you want to, you know, spend an hour hitting Booker T with a urinal, then it's good fun. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, Ernest Katz then's backstage, and he wants to. Uh, he wants doesn't want. Uh, he wants. To, he wants James Brown. He doesn't want to wrestle. Really, does he? he? Wants to. And they had famously. Yeah, actually, he was on a pay per view, wasn't he, James Brown? Yeah, Super Bowl ten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, which they a classic Terry Taylor didn't promote he was coming, you know, just just wheeled yeah. him. You, you could have got some nice sort of crossover there with James Brown. He's a, he's a massive star. Everyone was just laughing at the cat saying James Brown is coming, uh, and he did, which no one expected. They thought he was taking the piss. Uh, so he's having the chat, but then he gets beaten up by Bam Bam. Uh, for we're not really sure what reason yet, but we find out in a second. So the next match is Mike Awesome comes out. Um, they show a clip of him taken out. A smiling Kevin Nash on the uh, on Nitro, but then Bam Bam comes out, not the cat, which is confusing. And the referee's a bell then, so the match is the match is yeah. It ends up being a triple threat, doesn't it? Because yeah, Bam has inserted himself in the match. Is uh, cashed in like Seth Rollins at WrestleMania. <laughs> uh, I quite enjoyed this match. It was a few ECW chants to start off with. Yeah. Awesome, but good. Yeah, I think I think it was a bit of fun this match. Um, I, I didn't necessarily had a have a problem with it. Um, the cat is Achilles' heel. Is when he's on top, he wants to do a little dance and yeah. puts on his red shoes and starts um, dancing. And um, you know, then, then he gets a massive clothesline from Mike Awesome and a frog splash, and uh, that's all she wrote. Yeah. So I mean, if you're being picky, technically, so the match was supposed to be. Mike Awesome versus the cat. And then Bam Bigelow came down, got into the ring, and the ref rang the bell. And then the cat turned up later, and then the cat gets pinned by Mike Awesome. So we just we just have to assume that it was a triple threat match. Yeah. Yeah, we... Okay, fine. <laughs> I, was that, I guess it was where you were, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't get... Obviously, we don't get the cat's proper music. So what did the cat used to dance to? Was it... It was... Um... I got the cat's proper music, because I had yeah, the original... Yeah. The cat's proper music is is it, is it Brodus Clay's uh, theme? No, no, no. It's like a a, a James Brown um, okay sample type thing. Right, okay, yeah. So we get the horrendous dubbed kind of someone who's looked at a James Brown record before has done a dub and um yeah, but awesome yeah awesome pins the cat. So yeah, uh, so we see Eric backstage stressed about Hogan turning up and Kidman thinks he's uh sorted Hogan out, so we don't need to worry don't need to worry about Hogan turning up tonight. Um, Gene then with Buff and Shane Douglas. So, so Douglas had returned in sort of mid '99 and was part of that Benoit, Malenko, Saturn, Eddie, Conan. The Revolution. Yeah. And I quite liked where the Revolution was going before you know um, creative direction changed and everything um, got got shuffled around. Um, but yeah, I mean Shane Douglas. I mean he had a broken arm uh, at that point, but he, he was cutting the promos for the group and doing really well. And and then obviously, you know, when um, the radicals leave, uh, WWE don't want Shane Douglas, so he's always out. But he arranges to come back and and makes his re-debut on the reboot episode um, when he's calling out Ric Flair. Um, you know, so so he's back. But I I think Shane Douglas was good value for money in 2000 WCW. Where yeah. ends up having a bit of a problem with Buff Bagwell because. Uh, does he? They, yeah, because they're a tag team to get, you know, the um, working together. And then Buff gets suspended uh, on a drugs. Uh, okay. Buff, you know, so um, that ends up throwing all the, the tag team plans in the bin for Shane Douglas. And he ends up having to uh, 
Well, they end up having a rivalry when Buff comes back because uh, but, but Buff is over. Uh, the crowd love Buff. No matter what Buff does, Buff can never be the heel because everyone, yeah. you know, you, you've ruined my career because you got done for drugs. Boo Shane Douglas for complaining. <laughs> I just put in all that about Shane Douglas. I know I just written Buff is Buff basically. Mm. Yeah, it's the stuff, and the the girls actually cannot get enough at this time. No, well, I tell you who I can't get enough of. That's a Harlem Heat 2000. Dick <laughs> T, who, you know, Terry Taylor, uh, Kevin Sullivan and Ned Ferrara thought it was a good idea to win Booker T's tea off him. Yeah. So Stevie Ray, uh, Jay Biggs, who's Clarence Mason. Mason, yeah. What would, do you know what the Jay Biggs name, where that came from? Um, no, I'm, I'm not no, sure. No, no, I just wondered. Uh, big team. I know he came in as the um, the agent for Champagne Chris Canyon, who'd been away filming Ready to Rumble, and okay. came in as John, Johnny Big Boots. Uh, big T, who's Ahmed Johnson in 2000, which is an, a worrying prospect. Uh, and then uh, Cash, is that Cassius, who was in the No Limit Soldiers? Soldiers, yeah. And he went on to be a bodyguard for. Mike Tyson, who was on the front cover of Status Quo's uh, Burning Bridges. Yeah, and and, nothing else. That's all he ever did. <laughs> and 50 Cent. He was a bodyguard for 50 Cent. No, 50 Cent not on that album cover. It was just no, my... no. <laughs> and he was also a bodyguard for Robbie Keane as well. Robbie Keane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. That's true. Or Coventry City as well, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, this is a match, isn't it? Yes, uh, there was a bell at the start. I think there was a bell at the end. There may have been a match in the middle. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Shane Douglas gets the pin. Um, in my notes, it was a short match with an odd finish, and the heels didn't even cheat. No, no, it was a short match, but too long. Um, and yeah, then there's a bit of after is between uh, the Harlem Heat lads. So we'll see where that feud goes. <laughs> yeah, no, maybe not. Um, and Gene with the uh, you know the the proper Harlem Heat man Booker looking very young at this point still yeah and not that far away from uh, mm. his ascent into the world title picture uh, and uh, a stint as GI bro in between that's, that's what I was looking I was like I'm sure he wins the world title fairly soon after this mm. but they stopped off his GI bro in between yeah, yeah. which Booker T wanted to do what okay. would you like to do Booker I would like to be GI bro. Yeah, I'm sure. Okay then. But he's so he's new blood. But he's not really sure about. He's a, a new blood tweener. Not really sure about Bischoff and Russo. Um, so I, I think this, you know, it kind of makes sense that there's going to be people who have different alliances and also people who are on the cusp. Like we were talking about Scott Steiner. It, you know, technically he's new blood because he's never broken through to that world title level. But in fact, is it is a massive fucking star. Makes no sense for him to be new blood. Yeah, and he's getting shared as well. And it is old Steiner Brothers theme music. So it's like, yeah. yeah. And even when he gets to the match later on, his match with Sting, it's like they're quite surprised by his actions in that. So I think him still kind of yeah. semi a face going into that, and that cemented him as a heel later on. Um, but it's a Booker's wrestling Sting, and Sting looks very young as well. What theme did you get for Sting? I, I, it wasn't a memorable one. I don't think it was the crow sting theme. So, so um, on the original, it's Metallica, Seek and Destroy. Okay, it wasn't that. <laughs> Obviously, I'll give you that, is it? Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, I'm, I'm <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Sting's the only the only millionaire's 
club guy in the in the US tournament, technically. Um, and him and Lex have been feeding, aren't they, leading up to this? Yes, um, Lex had um, been dressing up as Sting, and there's a match that Tank Abbott has with Lex Luger cosplaying as Sting. Jesus Christ. <sighs> uh, this match actually felt like a proper match, actually. Yeah. No, I thought I thought this was uh, a really a really decent match. Um, yeah. So uh, the crowd were absolutely on fire for the match, um, and it, it was head and shoulders the best match that we'd seen so far in in the show. Yeah, yeah. And we get a nice spinner, really. Um, Sting gets the Scorpion Death Drop and uh, gets the win. And then we get a bit of afters as well. So Booker goes out and meets Sting on the apron and brings him back in. It's like, oh, what's he going to do? And then he shakes his hand. Respect, respect, respect. <laughs> and Matt Madden shouts, oh, no, this sucks. <laughs> yeah. And then straight to another backstage segment, straight away. So then, now we're getting to the, uh, to the meat of the show. So it's Eric, uh, Tori Wilson, Kidman and Mean Gene backstage. No, and then I'm not worried about Hogan. Uh, I've made a note of Bischoff's hair again. Kidman's not worried, but he's got a uh, vampiro. So I, I can remember seeing bits of WCW. When, when did it start on... Channel 5 in this country. That was near the end, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's around about this sort of time, I would think. Yeah. Maybe yeah. So I can remember seeing Vampiro then and thinking, like, oh, this is a interesting character. Oh, um, I loved Vampiro. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah. Um, and he's done some, he does some excellent work in 2000, um, like we said about Sting and the Human Torch match. And there's times when... Uh, there's a few episodes where he's sort of trailing a jerry can with petrol, like leaping, you know, trickling out of it towards Sting. Um, yeah. There's a time when he, like, he parks a petrol tanker in the thing and he's trailing the jerry can away from it. And, you know, it feels like some big shit's about to go down um, in a way that you don't get with modern wrestling and, you know, the sort of stakes. And, and I know a lot of people rail on the graveyard match. But again, Dan, Dan and I watched it recently and thought it was absolutely brilliant. And, and mm. you know, pretty much the design for some cinematic wrestling. I mean, he's the sort of guy, really, they should have, I suppose, they could have made a big thing of. Well, there was a post to um, have a Vampiro versus Kiss Demon um, main event at the uh, New Year's Evil pay-per-view that never happened. But okay. that's what Eric Bischoff promised Gene Simmons in his contract negotiations. <laughs> Um, but then did fuck all about booking it. Um, but uh, the vampiro that we get over the next few weeks and months from here, it, it feels like he's been built into a big deal. It really does. But you said, was it so Sting got fed up after the program pretty much, or just kind of decided yeah, to? He did, yeah. and also and vampiro <laughs> juggalos, which I, I know Chris Bellis and Danny are, uh, <laughs> are really happy about, but but the rest of us aren't. <laughs> no, no. Um, but he he turned he turned heel on the reboot show when he attacked Sting was that his was that his first sort of heel turn then? Yeah, because they had been the brothers in paint together, yeah. um, you know, and then Vampiro turns on him, and then with this whole sort of rivalry he's got with Sting going forward, Vampiro's effectively creating this stable of painted up guys so he has a rivalry with the kiss demon and then turns him onto his side and then he brings the great mooter in and he's got the um uh the juggalos um uh with him as well who are, are painted up um and then that was supposed to be a counterpoint to sting in his mask because of the burns to his face but then sting was like nah i'm, 
I'm okay. cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and then, obviously, he's wrestling Kidman. So, Kidman's got getting his probably the biggest the biggest push of his career at this point. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, he's going to go into a main event. Well, not a main event, but certainly a pay-per-view match against Hulk Hogan. Um, you know, and get a lot of time in in the spotlight. Um, you know, it, it's just a shame that Hogan sort of has opinions about what sort of business he's going to do when when we end up. But but for a few weeks, it was looking very promising. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is again, this seems like a proper pay per view match. Both guys get plenty of shots in, and um, it seems pretty good. And then until obviously the the big man turns up backstage in his car. Yeah, the Dodge Charger coming backstage. Beautiful. <laughs> car hogan gets out is wearing the black he grabs terry taylor in the gorilla position yeah. ftt uh, <laughs> i mean where's kidman um and heads for the ring and and this terry belayer hulk hogan character is great mm. yeah yeah he's just a pissed off big guy basically um, uh, and says Hogan's just here to collect his pay-per-view bonus as usual. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he just destroys Kidman, yeah. Yeah, uh, but talking about Vampiro, in the Vampiro um, um, Sting Human Torch match, um, they, um, the, the torch is getting lifted up to the top of the stage where Vampiro is, and uh, Mark Madden says, whoever's winching up that torch, it can't be Hulk Hogan because he'd never pass the torch. <laughs> God. See, he gets stuff right sometimes, Madden, yeah. Um, but again, that, that just says it, doesn't it? Like, Hogan was still an active wrestler at that point in the company. Well, yeah, he'd have the Yappa Pie strap match. Yeah. Which of all time, no bugger watched. <laughs> but that's just mental, just people on commentary saying that. That was where it was, I suppose, at the time. Like, I, I think a lot of people were very frustrated with, it, with the amount of money Hogan was taking out of the company. Yeah. Um, it was just insane, and he, he wasn't you know, in the last few months, bringing in results. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I very much liked, you know, the, the next few weeks until, you know, Hogan decides that he um, doesn't want to do business at Bash of the Beach. Yeah, yeah. But, he, I mean, he looks like a giant in this and beats up Kidman, chucks him all around the ring, chucks him back in the ring for Kidman, uh, for uh, Vampiro to pin him, um, and he heads off to the back then to look for Bischoff. Yeah. So, Russo said to Bischoff, don't worry, don't worry, I've got a plan. You stay here, I'll go in there. Uh, I'll go in there. I'll go and sort some out. Hogan looks around until he comes to a room which says Eric Bischoff and Vince Russo on the door. <laughs> yeah, he might be in there. Yeah. But what I love about this and the the preceding things that come after it, it's kind of this rolling thing where they roll from one bit to another. It's almost as I mean they do have camera breaks in it and different angles, but they could have legitimately shot about you know, 40 minutes of this show on one camera because it just rolls one thing to the next without any, um, yeah. you know, sort of logical breaks in between um, because it feels like a, a world that exists and, you know, Hogan's leaving the match to go and look for Bischoff and then, then he finds um, you know, Bischoff uh, uh, backstage um, and then we get some police. <laughs> yeah, so he gets, he gets into the room with Bischoff and looks like he's going to, Beat him up, but then Russo comes up with the cops. He's, he's called the police, who then uh, proceeds to put a gun on Hogan. Well, but actually, I know you, you, you might think this is ridiculous, but actually, yeah. that's that—that that is what would actually happen. And you compare that to this week on AEW, where Hangman Page went in the um, ambulance, um, and then he comes back and he's driving the ambulance. 
with an axe with like a with a with a spike on the end of it. <laughs> and Rey Mysterio at WrestleMania just turning up in a uh, um, a police transport thing. Is that is that how it works? Police pulling a gun on you know a six foot nine violent person who we've got no other way of restraining in America is actually what would happen. He'd have been black. He'd have been dead probably, wouldn't he? Really? Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, because that's how gun toting they are. Um, yeah. So th- this was a moment of reality on the show. So it might seem ridiculous, but actually when you compare it to the other ways that the emergency services are used in wrestling, this is real. And everything else that people say is absolutely normal. It's fucking ridiculous. And what does Mark Madden say? Um, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't. Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, he did. And uh, yeah, I think the value would have been. Would have been lost. Um, the police drag Hulk Hogan past Terry Taylor, DT, mm-hmm. and um, Terry Taylor tells um, Terry Funk that Norman Smile is um, um, eating uh, in catering, uh, the fucking stooge. Did you? I'm not sure what, what you got on your, on your uh, version, but on my version, we Bischoff's mic was still on. So as Taylor was talking to uh, Norman Smiley. You can hear Bischoff by like, heavy breathing and talking to Bish and talking to Russo. <laughs> <laughs> so you can hear Terry Taylor and Norman Smiley. You can hear Bischoff still was mic'd up and it was still <clears throat> it was still coming over. Um, but yeah, so yeah, he stooged out Norman. Uh, I love it. Terry Funk goes into catering and say, "Where's Norman?" And everyone in there just points. <laughs> <laughs> Completely sold him down the river. But this, oh yeah, this is. This is a, a, a fun five minutes. A, a t- uh, Terry Funk in 2000 is an absolute delight. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so they, they, they're doing all sorts of things. They smashed them in the head with a laptop at one point, didn't they? Yeah, and, and this has rolled on from the previous match and the, the Hogan going backstage. And it's been one, yeah. effectively, one continuous shot into this match, into Terry Funk finding Norman in the men's toilets and dragging him around backstage. and hitting him with a laptop and, you know, through, yeah. through, through the serving hatch of the kitchen. <laughs> yeah. They said it's not a laptop, it's a slap top. <laughs> Which, uh, and he, uh, he gets onto a ladder and then they're like, well, where's he going to go? Because he's just got into a ladder, on, onto a ladder, like into a normal room. And he climbs up on the plumbing pipes and is hanging off the, uh, yes. hanging off the pipes. <laughs> yeah. But they, um, they managed to work their way towards the ring and we get lots of unprotected chair shots and wiggling about. Well, uh, Norman hits uh, Terry Funk with a coke can, and Matt Madden says you can't do that if he prefers Pepsi. <laughs> <laughs> and then Dustin Rhodes turns up. Oh, when he's, hanging on the, when he's hanging on the pipe, Tony Giovanni says he's hanging like a koala on that pipe. Yeah. <laughs> but that was a feud, wasn't it? Was it, was it Dustin had been feuding with Terry Funk, hadn't he? He had, yes. Yeah, I mean, that that's the match at Uncensored, the previous pay-per-view, where... Yeah. Uh, Buddy Rhodes makes his debut, and Terry Funk has a chicken on his hand. So I think he's stolen it from Jake the Milkman Millman on his uh, <laughs> turkey on a pole match with Colonel De Beers in the um, AWA Team Series Challenge. Dustin comes down and get unprotected chair shot on a pole driver, but Dustin messes up, and Funk chucks his chair at Norman on the outside and uh, ends up winning the title. Well, um, that, that bit where... Um, Terry Funk's, um, he, he, he like lifts the chair over his head and hits Norman behind him. I mean, yeah. it's a gift I've seen going around Twitter to this day, sort of thing, yeah. you know. Um, um, 
I did notice we're one hour 24 into the pay-per-view at this point, and yeah. Mark Madden is losing his voice, which <laughs> says everything about <laughs> Manic, this pay-per-view has been. Uh, Russo, again, straight into the next bit. Russo and Booker backstage, and Russo's not impressed with Booker, but he'll, uh, he'll let it slide if he if he does him a favour later on. And then um, potatoes, don't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah. What? <laughs> uh, Mike Austin then, out again, and he's taking on Scott Steiner in the semis of the US champs. Again, it's kind of heel I mean, Steiner's the face, really, in this, but it's, it's kind of heel versus heel, supposed to be. Yeah. But I thought Mike Awesome looked really good in these two matches. He did, yeah, no, it is. If you just keep Mike Awesome in the ring, yeah, uh, he looks uh, absolutely fine. But uh, Kevin Nash comes out with his crutch and hits Mike Awesome, and then, yeah. And, and you know, it, it's a classic trope of this era that um, actions have consequences. You don't get one person attacking another without yeah. there being a payoff. And then um, Steiner wins with the Steiner recliner. Probably my favourite finisher move of the uh, Rinker King era. Um, <laughs> we get uh, Russo then. We're straight backstage. Russo slagging off Dustin. Again, very much uh, behind the scenes. Oh, uh, the only good period in his career was when he was Goldust. And Russo created Goldust and he wrote every word that Dustin said. Well, I mean, Gold Dust was created before Russo was in creative. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. Sat at the back taking notes. Um, yeah. I, I, this is maybe a little bit of dramatic license. It, you know, it probably did help him a, a hell of a lot. Um, mm. But I think this is a, you know, a Bruce Pritchard and Vince McMahon drug-addled. Uh, yeah. Thing yeah. Maybe when Gold Dust was walking around with a ball gag in his mouth, that was uh, that was probably Russo. Um, when he was doing the stuff with Luna. I think that was just Dustin Rhodes' uh, suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but Booker's there. Obviously, that was Booker's favourite to slag off his future tag team partner and uh, be Russo's backup. And he fires Dustin Rhodes. Yeah, so I, I, I don't really know what was happening here. There must have been some kind of either contractual thing or, um, you know, maybe Dustin's demons were getting in the way because it seems to be he's legitimately going from the company and he hasn't been there okay. that long. He got there a, a few weeks before Russo because he has all that time for the, the, the amazing Kevin Sullivan creative of seven. <laughs> so that was, that was Sullivan, was it? Seven? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, uh, he did the NWO, but he did seven, you know. So, so, <laughs> so what he gives with one hand, he takes away with the other. Oh, God. Uh, Vampiro out again. For now, this is the, the grudge match against Sting. Um, yeah, others in pain explode. Yeah, yeah. Again, this is a good match. Vampiro looks good, dominates, really. Sting yeah. The win. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was a, a really decent match. And it, it was kind of short enough that you wanted to see more yeah. of it. I think that that was the end of it. Um, you know, you've got some some meat left on the bone yeah. with it, really. Yeah. Which, I, which you want from a tournament, really, because it... You know, if that had stopped you ever wanting to see those matches again, then you, you've just burned through weeks of creative. That's the thing. It's difficult enough to do one tournament on a pay-per-view, but in theory, you're doing well free. So it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a stretch to be honest. Have three three tournaments running and then having also title matches in the other matches as well. <laughs> but it works as a marketing thing because people poured oh, yeah. in, you know. So yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, so Sting wins, Vampiro taps out, and then we're now on to the finals now. So we've got Sting versus Steiner in the US 
title final. Uh, team package versus Buff and Shane Douglas in the tag. Obviously, DDP and Double J in the world title. Um, and then we've got the uh, Jeans backstage with DDP and Kimberly. And obviously, he wants to get revenge for the end of Nitro where Jarrett smashes Kimberly on the head with a guitar. Yeah. Jarrett. P kind of moves out of the way, and 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 you know I think this is planting seeds for what what's going to happen later on. But mm. I, I think I, I, you know me and Dan have spoke long and hard about this upcoming storyline, and we are definitely Team Kimberly. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean Jarrett is. I I don't actually mind Jeff Jarrett now. <laughs> Jarrett, I, I I would have been all in for Jeff Jarrett winning the international championship, or whatever it's called, this week on Dynamite yeah. weeks ago. Um, he is a shit heel. He's got a stable behind him that helps him cheat and a legitimate giant. Um, it'd make all the sense in the world to uh, have him out of a title in AEW today. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, we get uh, the interview with DDP and Kimberly. Um, and then we get this match wasn't advertised really, was it the, the cruiserweight match? And they didn't really mention it before the before the. Oh, the show. Well, you're missing a free count performing. Uh, yeah. The, uh, the single. There's only two of them at this point, weren't there? Yeah, there was. It was only Shannon Moore and uh, Shane Helms. Um, they come out and um, you know there's only two of them, but uh, two two of them are better than anyone else, and then they they start singing. Uh, um, you can't get me out of your heart. Um, the lip sync into all three parts of the song, so excellent, excellent work from the two of them. Um, and he didn't really announce who was in this match. People just kept coming into the ring. So the artist, it did kind of annoy me because the artist had like an excellent ring entrance with mm. Paisley and stuff, and they're just coming down to free counts singing in the background, and then Crowbar just runs past them. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Lash Larue and Juventude. And then Candido doesn't really get much of it. He just sort of wanders in as well, Candido, doesn't he? Well, to, to be fair, in sort of the run-up to this, it is being branded as, um, like, hard luck Chris Candido. I think it's hard not Chris Candido or whatever. But, but you know, it is, okay. everything's going wrong for him, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, David Flair's at ringside, Paisley and Daphne. So who's David Flair at this point? Is he with Crowbar as well? Yeah, yeah, David Flair, um, Crowbar. They found Crowbar at a petrol station randomly, um, and uh, he yeah. joined their, um, their group, and then they end up in this uh, love square with David Flair and Miss Hancock and Daphne and Crowbar, and, you know, because Crowbar fancies Daphne, but Daphne loves David, and David's having an affair with Miss Hancock, and <laughs> it's, it's, it's better than it sounds. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Definitely, it's a, a Franken screamer on Crowbar by mistake. Yeah, no, that's that's what they call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Although all who can run us on this show are Frankensteiners. <laughs> but Candido wins after Tammy shows up. Who's Tammy? Who's Tammy? Well, it's, as I tell us, formerly known as Sunny in the WWF, just so everybody knows who it is. Yeah, mentioned very, WWF name. Yeah. Very revealing gown. Um, hmm. Yeah, um, I mean, you can't really underestimate how big a star Sonny was in the earlier, uh, you know, I don't know, 96, 97 in WWF. Um, she's a, a demons have caught up with her a little bit by this point, haven't they? Mm, yeah. So when was, again, not one of my favourite things, when was LOD 2000? That must have been at least in 99. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not long before this. 
and and she looked the absolute part. I mean, LOD, um, LOD 2000 looked the part, but I think all of them had um, issues mm. at that point, and it, it wasn't it wasn't great. Um, but in theory, this is a, a big get for WCW, and possibly not a, a very expensive one. Um, it is all going to end in tears uh, because um, that the dirt sheets say that um, Kimberly found um, Tammy doing drugs backstage and reported her um, leads to Tammy leaving because um, you know obviously the drugs leads to um, Kimberly um, they end up pulling Liz and Lex Luger in um, because of the shit disturbance and uh, well, I think, I think Luca just wanted to pose and wanted, wanted an out sort of thing. Um, uh, it, it actually it actually leads to the week of fallout between Russo and Bischoff because okay. Bischoff, Bischoff is on the Kimberly side of the argument, um, and you know Russo's um, uh, not basically on the on the other side of it somehow. Um, and not not suggesting that he wants to, you know keep Tammy on the drugs or, or whatever, but, um, you know, that this whole debate of people's problems just, just ends up escalating and escalating. Um, and, you know, we end up with people leaving and, and the creative teams falling out. And there was a rumor at the time that Kimberly and Bischoff were having an affair. Okay. So whether, whether that's people believing storyline, um, or again, working themselves into a, <laughs> or it actually was happening um yeah but obviously that this whole thing happened with kimberly and um bischoff does end up taking his bat home so maybe maybe i mean it sounds like a fucking nightmare at wcw at this point really i think the thing was that you know tensions were already high so everything was seen as and a lot of people worked themselves into shoots Mm, yeah because again you've got the stuff obviously the russo hogan stuff coming up not too long after this, which was properly led to lawsuits and all sorts, didn't it? Well, the, the thing was with Hulk Hogan, he'd already worked his pay-per-view dates for 2000. I wouldn't be surprised, and obviously, you know, he'd never, he'd never say this, and this is just my personal theory, but if A, another person had the Hulk Hogan contract and had used his dates and wanted more money and saw the way the wind was directing with the younger stars being pushed, what would be their best chance of getting more money out of WCW? Yeah. It'd be a lawsuit because we know, we know how turn illegal. So there's a lot of sense that someone in that position might have done that. Um, Not saying Hulk Hogan did that, but Mm. you can easily make the the logical deductions of, you know, point A to point B. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Post-match, then they have um, Tammy and Paisley have a scrap. Mark Madden gets quite excited. Um, I think Paisley was a lot better than Charmel. I think she did the best work in WCW with the artist and, and later with Kiki. Well, I don't know. She was good. The, the match she had with um, Jenna Maraska in TNA was a classic. <laughs> Rob's nodding at this point in agreement. Yeah. yeah. It's better than Kelly Martinez, I'll give you that. Um, so we get Jarrett then backstage with Gene. He's the chosen one and all that kind of bollocks that you would go on about this side but i mean he was russo did bring him in didn't he when he when russo came over no i mean that's always the um summation because that you know they spent a lot of time in the same place 
But at the same time, I think Jarrett had kind of made an art of just like signing these one-year contracts and yeah. I'm between the two. So I think it was always Jarrett's plan to move over. And I think he'd moved over just before Russo and Bischoff as mm-hmm. Russo and Ferrara came over uh, originally. So I think it, it was more coincidence. Um but with, you know, the storylines that were getting told and again people working themselves into a show, you know, same uh, as this is, this is, uh, I think I'm going to the answer to this question. Do you think Jeff Jarrett would have become a world champion if he had stayed in WWF? Um, no, because of the gimmicks that he was in. Although it's difficult because, you know, when like, Eddie and Chris Benoit went over, they, they were nowhere near the world championship and they were yep. both locked. I honestly believe if Eddie Guerrero had stayed in WCW for another two years, he'd have been world champion more than once. Um, you know, and then it's four or five years before WWE put the belt on him and mm. seemed to be booked better in WWE, which you know blatantly isn't true. Um, so you never you never know where people can get to. Um, he just had a fresh lick of paint on him when he came to WCW and his sort of in the the you know the slap nuts gimmick. And I think it, to a certain extent, with a lot of people leaving, he, he got pushed up the card, and it, it was kind of the perfect storm to, to get him there. In WWF, I remember when he left and then he came back and he cut that promo then in the ring, like this almost like a shoot promo thing in yeah. his suit. And he was like, oh, I was, you know, made like a fucking idiot before. And the week later, he came back wrestling the same gimmick he, he wrestled in. And he, yeah. then he just got involved with the NWA stuff with uh, Cornette. And that. But there was only when he shaved his head and he had his hair cut short, he seemed to be a different kind of... They seem to get away from that. But then obviously that led to the misogynistic gimmick where he's yeah, beating up women every week. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, if he'd have stayed going on from that period, he might have... Uh, I think a lot of people didn't like him, did they? Austin famously wasn't a big fan, was he? Well, it's difficult because, you know, people like Jack Swagger were world champions, so it's not exactly a high battle <laughs> we're talking about, is it? You know? Yeah, yeah. But there's still time. Um, I, yeah. I mind him being AEW champion. I really wouldn't. I mean, you'd, you'd need a transitional champion between MJF and him, but yeah, when Punk comes back, he can do this. <laughs> <job>. <laughs> but also, because they could they could tell a story around it and they could make it work. Yeah, yeah, that'd be interesting. Um, so that tag titles match, so team package versus Buff and Douglas Flair still in his snooker. Pool hall gear. Um, now Russo's on commentary days. He joins the hills with his baseball pack, wearing his Mets shirt and um, yeah. And Rick Flair's watch round his neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And let's talk about. He talks about Flair dodging Douglas for years, which is kind of the the storyline, isn't it? Um, well, I mean, because they tried they tried him and tried to bring Flair into ECW to have a match with him. Uh, okay. Flair, you know. Um, they offered him an amount for three matches, and Flair wanted three times that for one match. <laughs> he probably wouldn't have got paid that anyway, would he? Oh, no, no, I think it was like more than he did in a year in WCW or something, you know. It was, yeah, uh, okay. Ridiculous. It, it was, you know, but basically it it was an amount that meant he, he wouldn't do it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, Luger kind of gets in control in the match, he's dominating. And then Russo gets involved, he distracts the ref, and Income chronic out of the crowd. Yeah. To see them. Yeah. Yeah. And they powerbomb Luger. Russo then puts the ref's uh, shirt on and counts three and the heels win. So, yeah, I mean, 
It was, it was something, wasn't it? Well, you know, I, I guess to be fair, the the Bryans had both been away from WCW for a fair amount of time. Okay. Um, Brian Adams hadn't been there since October, and Brian Clark hadn't been there since April '99. Um, okay. So, so they'd both been away a long time, and they'd not been together. So, this is, you know, a, a return of two two reasonably positioned guys. And so they weren't they weren't chronic before this. No, no. I mean, okay, Brian right. Raff, the last time we saw him, um, yeah, you know, a, a year before this. So um, they've had a complete reboot. They, they look dominant together. Um, I, I think it's a, a decent um, return, really. You know, and um, you know, I think this was um, a decent, as, as good a team package match as you're gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say so. Um, I think they're, they're one of Morty Junior's favorite uh, favorite teams, aren't they? Chronic. He's a big Chronic fan. Probably going to say team package then. I'm all like, <laughs> <laughs> favorite teams. I don't know. He has seen Ric Flair on Bay Watch with us. Yeah, yeah. I think he's, he's. I've seen him wear a shell suit like Lex Luger wears. So, um, yeah. So that's your new tag team champions is Shane Douglas and Buff Bagwell. So Steiner's backstage on Eugene. He cuts a, a traditional Scott Steiner promo. He represents himself. He's not interested in New Blood or Millionaires Club, and he says his, the vein in his arm is bigger than Sting's arm. So yeah, well, if you put that much Ica Pro into it, it will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and Sting's there, Eugene, and he cuts a promo. He's still got like half the face paint on from his last match, so he's ready for war. Um, and yeah, this match is uh, the ending of this match. <laughs> a little bit uh, well, well, hokey. I don't know. This is where Vampiro comes up through the ring, and you know, I mean, if Dan was here and he was talking about Kane coming up through the ring, or you know, or when yeah. White did it, and he just put in a video package, people love it. I mean, I, I liked it. You know, Vampiro's um, a guy on the up in WCW. Um, he's clearly got spooky tendencies um you know he's going to pull sting down the the i mean bloody um creative control um uh standards and practices sorry uh really fucks him on this because sting has to use a blood capsule which looks absolutely awful when he's got this little mm. of uh, um, egg white with red coloring <laughs> coming out of his mouth when he comes back up they could have made that look a lot better but um I, I think it was a, a decent end to it because effectively you're wanting to get as many of the titles onto the new blood as possible because that's the whole purpose of it. You want to keep Sting strong and give him an excuse for losing and you want to move forward with this Sting-Vampiro rivalry. So it, it ticks a lot of boxes. Yeah, I just think, again, I suppose it's 2000, so we're not the most sort of technically advanced time it just looked like, because after he'd gone down underneath the rigs, he comes up in a little hatch in the ring and then pulls him down. And then the hatch is still sort of left open afterwards. So the ref obviously ignores the fact there's a big fucking hole in the, in the, in the ring. Uh, I mean, you see like people thought you like sort of cut or like come up through the ring a bit more. Whereas this is almost like there's a little door in the ring and he just pops out the door and then drags thing down, does stuff and then pushes his lifeless body with a bit of help from Steiner up mm. through the little I, hole. I, I was watching um, Giant Haystacks versus Tony St. Clair from 1979 the other night. And that's yeah. me. 
and um, a board gets loose in the ring, so they, they just end it. They're just, they're just like... <laughs> <laughs> and they're even like, yeah, I know we had a main event booked for the show, but the ring's broken, so uh, time to yeah. go on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I suppose at this point, you had Kane and Undertaker come up for the ring, weren't they, in WWF? But it looked, I mean, it, it just looked a bit more aesthetically realistic than a little hole in the little hatch in the ring, his head pops up. But, um... Yeah, so, uh, so Vampiro drags Sting underneath and then Sting gets pulled back up and Steiner gets him in the, the Steiner recliner and uh, wins the title. Uh, but then Steiner's got like blood, uh, Sting's blood on his hand. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's definitely he's symbolic. He's uh, he's definitely new blood. Um, well, then it goes to commentary and behind them, someone has a sign saying I farted. So I think Dan's got a time. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have time to go through this sign. <laughs> there were so many stupid signs in the crowd. Um, yeah, so right, finally we're on to the main event. So on the reboot show, there was the sort of qualifiers to get into the match with Double J. So there was Luger and DDP and then Sting versus Sid. Yeah. But of course Luger's match and then the wall, he said earlier, interfered to got Sid his match. And then in the final, which was... DDP versus Sting. Vampiro then interfered in that match. It's called Sting that match. So that led to DDP being in the final. At the end of that match, Double J came in and accidentally, in brackets, hit Kimberly on the head. But it's DDP jumps out of the way of it. <laughs> he moves out of the way. Yeah. Kimberly in the way of the guitar. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in fact, DDP broke Jeff Jarrett's guitar with Kimberly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, DDP's got a book out, which will be signing copies this Saturday, not this Saturday, but the Saturday after uh, this pay-per-view somewhere in America in a mall. Um, and that book comes into play later on. <laughs> which isn't as good as Canyon's autobiography, which you can get on audio book read by Ernest okay. Borgnine. <laughs> by, by Ernest Borgnine? That's what Canyon said. It, it, oh, it was, okay, right. But, uh, it's a running joke that yeah. <laughs> we're down looking for it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I suppose this does this feel like the main event of a pay per view. I suppose it does. Yeah, yeah, it's a main event of a pay per view. Jeff Jarrett coming out to Kid Rock Cowboy. Yeah, yeah. Again, not not. <laughs> I didn't get that. No. Um, and Bischoff comes out with Jarrett, and Kimberly comes out with DDP. So yeah, this this I suppose this feels like a proper. Again, this and the Booker T Sting match were probably the best two matches. I've got the I've got the Meltzer ratings and them coming up, so we'll find out what what Uncle Dave thought. But um, this kind of felt like a big match, I suppose. Yeah, I think I think it did. I mean, you know, obviously it's a, a little bit of a changing of the order. Um, you know, pushing the new blood into the main event. But DDP, DDP have been champion before, haven't they? Yes, two time, two time, two time. WCW yeah. champion. This point. And this is Jarrett's first first go when he wins. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. Um but did so when's ready to rumble out? Is it out? Um it's out very soon after this because okay. um the Jarrett and DDP are feuding over the title. Um yeah. when they have the yeah, triple cage match with uh, David Arquette. Yeah. When, when ratings go up massively when David Arquette's there and I've yeah. got a graph on my Twitter which compares Bad Bunny, CM Punk's AEW run, and David Arquette. And David Arquette blows them both out of the water. It's not even okay. funny. All right. Okay. Um, Stop bringing facts into it, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> As I said yesterday, I'm in no mood for logic at the moment. Um, yeah, so, I mean, this is it's a, it's a, it's a standard sort of main event of a pay-per-view match. It's, it's pretty good. Like, there's, 
the usual bumps and again the refs have been told to be lenient so Jarrett uses a chair um Madden continuously calling DDP DD me throughout the pay-per-view which gets a bit grating after a while um so the uh Jarrett gets a copy of DDP's book out of the crowd as well it's like ripping pages out of it and hitting him with the Taking <laughs> pages out of his books, hurting him more than any any move can do to him because it is destroying his soul. I love yeah. that. Absolutely love that. Yeah, symbolic. Um, so then we get to get a ref bump. Jarrett uses the belt when he gets a two carrying, gets a figure four on. Um, and then sort of Kimberly's got the guitar on one side and Bischoff's on the other side as well at ringside. It's a bit like, well, because I suppose in, was it? Was it canon in storyline that Bischoff and Page are mates? Or was it just kind of people yeah. knew that was a fact in real life? Yeah, it was known, and I think it'd been mentioned before. Um, the, there is a bit just before this where Madden's saying about DDP coming back from injury too soon because he's just addicted to the spotlight. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> he's saying that DDP's protecting his injured back by letting Jarrett hit him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> so, they're, so they're both at ringside and Bishop gets on the apron trying to sort of distract the ref. He's like, well, who's he trying to help? So Kimberly comes in with a guitar because DDP looks like he's got the upper hand. And then she hits, purposefully hits DDP in the head this time with yep. the guitar. And uh, Jarrett gets a stroke and Jarrett's the, the world champion for the first time ever. Yeah. Um... Bishop and Kimberly hug in the ring. That, that was awkward, that, that hug. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it would have been better but it's just like you know friends friends wrestling friends um although maybe they were um you know not wanting to uh give a, a nod and a wink to what was alleged to be happening um it's a thing, isn't it? yeah yeah you know maybe it was a bit too close to the bone um and I, it's difficult to review this pay-per-view with what's going to happen but what's coming up with you know Kimberly calling out DDP for being a crappy husband and her leaving all his possessions on the front lawn and, you know, being in a relationship with Bischoff in storyline is there's some absolutely glorious stuff to, to come yeah. from that. Um, Again, it seems to be a theme of this time period. It is all very close to, which is, I suppose, if it worked, it would have been, wow, you've got all these storylines based in reality and, yeah, you know, it came off and it was a good thing, but some of these storylines are so closely based on reality that actually it probably led to the downfall as well. Well, in terms in terms of people not wanting to do them, um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know if it necessarily did lead to the downfall um, because you know they, they were doing you know the the business was basically on the way up. You know, uh, even after Bash at the Beach and Bishop and Russo fall out, it's just Russo. Um, Russo's bringing up the ratings. Um, until he gets a concussion from Goldberg, and that's kind of um, the end of it. So, you know, from from a TV product point of view for the general audience, the, they were making gains. And as daft as it sounds, pissing off some of the big earners and getting them off the payroll is probably no bad thing for WCW at this point. Um, yeah. Certainly, um, Bill Bush was in, in no hurry for them to try and mend any bridges with Hulk Hogan after Bash at the Beach because of the amount of money that he cost. But at the end of the show, we get Bischoff and Russo celebrating. Um, Buff Bagwell and Shane Douglas come in and hug um, Jarrett. Scott Stein is in there celebrating. 
Candido's in there uh, with Tammy, so all the new champions. But there's just one problem that stopped the clean sleep of the new blood. And that's a man that isn't new blood because he's definitely not new. And he's <laughs> yeah. millionaire's club because he isn't a millionaire. Yeah. He's middle-aged and crazy. And that's pretty <laughs> fun. So when did, was it on Nitro that Bret Hart come out at the end? Um, on the reboot. Um, Bret Hart comes out... Just thinking, did he come out on the re? Did he come out on the reboot? I think he, he come out at the very end. Didn't say anything. He just comes out and faces down with Bischoff, like on the ramp on the way off, and then the show goes off the air. Yeah, yeah, you're right. He does the same sort of thing at um, War Games uh, as well. He comes out and um, um, stares off. Um, well, you know, shouts at Goldberg basically, or uh, injured him. And you know, there's a couple of times when they sort of use him. He comes out of the um, at New Blood Rising. Okay. Uh, after the Mike Awesome Land Storm match. Um, you know, so there, there's a couple of times that they try and get some mileage out of it, but obviously there, there can be no physicality or anything. So, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's uh, kind of is what it is, but um, get, get him in from the odd pop here and there. Yeah. Right, let's do the Meltzer ratings then. So we'll see how you do, Rob, with these, uh, if you can, uh, if you're of a similar mindset of Dave Meltzer, and we'll see what you uh, what you get. So some of these matches didn't get a rating at all. So. Uh, the ones that did to get a rating. So, uh, Team Package versus the Mamelukes. I don't think Meltz will have rated that very highly at all. <laughs> I think he'll have gone for like a one star or something. Um, yeah, I, I think it kind of was what it was, and it served its purpose from a narrative story point, point of view, but that, that doesn't get factored into uh, Uncle Dave's. <laughs> so, a star and a quarter. Ooh, it's more, more, more optimistic than I thought it would be. So, nothing for Jimmy Hart versus Mankow. <laughs> Um, nothing for Steiner versus the Wall either. Um, Mike Awesome and uh, well, the, the, what turned out to be a triple threat match. Mike Awesome, Bam Bang, and Ernest Miller. Bang Bang, it's very Bam Bam. Bang, <laughs> bang, 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 get yourself in, yeah. involved. Yeah. Um, uh, again, the, the thing was with that match, it really wasn't that long, and it was mostly a cat's dance. Um, so and the Bam Bam story. So. Uh, again, maybe a star and a half or something. Two and a quarter. Two and a quarter, wow. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Hollow Heat 2000 and Buffs, that didn't get any. That was a dud. Um, Sting versus Booker. No, actually, that was all right. I reckon Meltzer may have gone maybe as high as three on that one. Yeah, three stars. Uh, Vampiro and Kidman. Again, that wasn't that wasn't bad and left you wanting more. And it had the, I mean, if, if he'd got any of the emotion of the Hogan, uh, run it, he'd probably even given that three stars. Uh, two and a half. Well, just just on the in ring product there, isn't it? Uh, Funk versus Norman Smiley. I mean, that was excellent. That that that, 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 that was that was absolutely <laughs> that that deserves very high ratings, but Meltzer isn't going to give it, so maybe I don't know, two stars. Two and three quarters. So that got more than Vampiro and Kidman. So uh, it was very entertaining. It was, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, really good the way that it just all flowed through from the previous scenes and didn't fail feel stilted at all and all part yeah. of the universe um scott steiner and mike awesome um he's probably going to give that two i would think one that one one well sting and vampiro again that was decent wasn't it you know we're, we're in sort of proper view. <laughs> yeah okay i thought well he should have given that at least three three quarters of a star yeah. Um, the cruiserweight match. See, so you might like that. I reckon you might have given that the highest. Let's say a three and a quarter or something. 
star and a half. <laughs> so, uh, the tag title match. Um, he's only going to give that maybe one and a half. He won't give that much. It's Ric Flair, so two and a quarter. All right. Yeah. Uh, the US title match. Um, again, um, that that felt quite a decent match. I, I don't know, two and three quarter, let's say. Yeah, two and three quarters. And the, the main event. Um, well, I I very much enjoyed the main event. Um, I don't know, three. Three and a half. So three that was half. the that was a match of the night, according to according to Dave. Well, well, we all know it was Norman Smiley versus Terry Funk. <laughs> Narrowly beating uh, Sting and Booker T, that was free. So. Yeah, well, yeah that, that was decent. Uh, yeah, I think to a certain extent, some of the storyline was more important than some of the matches on this show. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, right, at now clocking in almost three hours. Three hours for a two and a half hour pay per view with 14 matches, 20 backstage segments. segments and I've drank five cans of Madri. Um, we're approaching the end. Now, as a new little twist, I'm going to get the guests to pick their favourite TV theme tune for us to, to play it with. So we'll find that out in a moment. I've Rob, do you want to... I'm working this out than I have. Uh... <laughs> You've taken more notes on that. And, like and annoyingly, I didn't put them at the end of my notes for this. I put them at my oh, halfway right. through the notes that I'm doing for the bloody... Um, Last episode of season one of NXT Game Show. Would you like to plug your various wares? Uh, yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at UTTRob. It's really more about the mutuals than it is about the followers, so I'm absolutely more than happy to follow back. Um, we have a podcast, uh, Dan Griffin and I, on Booking the Territory, where we're looking at the first and last of wrestling, um, so debuts, finales, that kind of thing. Um, season one, we looked at the highest and lowest TV rating um, episodes of the Monday Night Wars, Creature for Period, which is one of the reasons I know a lot about WCW 2000. And the other <laughs> reason I know a lot about WCW 2000 is we have another series following the ups and downs of the in-ring career of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived, one David Tank Abbott. And um, it's got a bit of a life of its own because we're actually doing like full shows, reviews for uh, the show that uh, Tank Abbott's on. But if you go to the Twitter for uh, unbooking the Tankatari, you can get some hashtag tank facts, such as Tank Abbott doesn't use a spell check. The letters just arrange themselves in the right order. <laughs> tank Abbott is the only person to ever eat a McDonald's apple pie straight out of the oven and complain that it wasn't warm enough. And the equator runs around the circumference. Of, why does the equator run around the circumference of the Earth? Because it's trying to run away from Tank Abbott. Um, so you can get some uh, legitimate uh, true facts about Tank Abbott if you go on there. And um, uh, as ridiculous as it sounds, we're, we're, we're going into a, another side project as Tank uh, Tori's uh, winding down on putting the territory where we're following the only time that a wrestling championship ever changed hands by legitimate sporting competition. And we are covering it as legitimate sporting competition. We are covering the BTE Gator Golf Challenge. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> operation into this we're just going in and watching it as a sport i feel like the the careers of people like barry horowitz and tank abbott have, have taken a, a new life due to the uh, little uh, little gang of podcasts and uh, um the dimensions they get on twitter are probably more now than they've been getting for the last sort of 20 years so, uh, so yeah i think the thing with tank abbott is that that you know the current IWC prefers, you know, work rate and 20 minute matches and seven, you know, seven star matches and banger after banger after banger. 
Yeah. Fib, a wrestler should not care about the quality of the match. A wrestler should care about winning. And that's all a Tank Abbott match is. A lot of his matches are one punch because, you know, he is a UFC Hall of Famer. He's one of the founding fathers of mixed martial arts. Why on earth wouldn't he spark people out? Yeah. Well, since the um the news of the WWE UFC sort of merger with the, with the company, maybe Tank Abbott might get his uh, Hall of Fame for, for he's already in the he's already in the UFC Hall of Fame, is he? Or? Uh, he is, he is indeed. Yeah, but, uh, okay. the, the, the company's only worth fifty billion combined. They're not going to be able to afford Tank Abbott's appearance. <laughs> but yeah, so you might uh, you, next year you might be moaning about him beating Cody Rhodes at WrestleMania. So <laughs> yeah, the Roman Reigns, thousand days as champion, one punch. <laughs> already on the red pier window, hasn't even picked up the belt. <laughs> the counting Roman Reigns. <laughs> so it's it's good to be back next week. I'll be joined by another legend of this uh, of this neighbourhood. Uh, Mags is coming back to the show, and we are talking about In Your House 14, Revenge of the Taker, which features Bret Hart versus Stone, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, but not the match everybody remembers. It's still a good one. Undertaker and Mankind, probably one of my favourite matches of all time. Jesse James against Rockabilly. Um, unfortunately, the Godwins versus... Doug Furness and Phil LaFont's a dark match. We won't get to see that. Uh, Legion of Doom versus Owen in British Bulldog. Savio Vega versus Rocky Maivia. Um, so, yeah, so that'll be something to look forward to next week. Mags, obviously, fucking Mags, the, the scourge of Paddyum. It'll be, it'll be on the Paddyum Predator. <laughs> the Paddyum Predator will be on next week. And, uh, yeah, so thanks for putting up with us. It's nice to be back. And, Rob, what are we going uh, to finish with? Or do, you want, do you want me to go through my shortlist? Because I, <laughs> yeah, go on, Nick, go for the shortlist. Well, first of all, I thought I can't have the Minder theme because you're going to play that, and you've played that so many times on this show. Yeah. So you can't have that. Um, one out of left field that I thought would be excellent to put on here, but it's not the final one. Uh, yeah. Mysterious Cities of Gold. Yeah, yeah. That would be excellent. Um, I've got like Blake Seven, The Prisoner. Rockford Files, Hawaii Five-O. Can you imagine? Oh, uh, yeah. The Hawaii Five-O. Or what about the theme for the F1 in the 80s, Fleetwood Mac, The Change? The chain. Okay. But I'm going to have to go with the theme to Highlander, the movie and TV series, which is Princes of the Universe by Queen. Okay. I've, I don't like Queen, but we'll have it on anyway. <laughs> it's your choice. Well, 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 fuck that off, Andy, and play Fleetwood Mac, The Chain. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like F1 either, so we'll, we'll, we'll go with Queen, shall we? Because it's unlike the Queen <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we'll go with Queen, because it's unlike the Queen are going to be played again on the show at any point, unless somebody requests uh, the theme from Flash Gordon, because I quite like that song. Um, I quite like that film as well, only because Brian blesses it. Gordon's uh, alive. Gordon's alive. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I might just play that instead. <laughs> no, no, no. No, so, uh, yeah, we'll have the, uh, the, the um, what was it called? It's called um, Princes of the Universe by Queen. It's a kind of magic album. Okay, we'll finish up with that. And uh, yeah, you all know my opinions on Queen. Right, uh, we'll be back next week with Max. And uh, thank you, Rob. Thank you, everybody, for listening, supporting the show. Love you all. Uh, Take care. See you next week. Bye-bye. I've been alive for four and a half centuries. I am immortal.